Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 65 of Beer Notice the Podcast Adjunct Series Quarantine Edition. That's a lot of episodes, and who would have thought? Uh, this evening, we have a great podcast. This is one we were meant to do prior to all of this craziness in person at the brewery. As you know, you know things happen how they did, so uh, uh, this was the next best thing that we could come up with. But before I introduce these gentlemen, got the sponsor. You know the drill, guys. This evening's podcast is brought to you by Dr. Nick's Amazing Man Stuff, a beard product company for humans with beards uh, based out of Massachusetts. These guys are super cool. We did an episode with Dr. Nick, who I don't believe is an actual doctor, but whatever. Uh, He was super cool and explained everything to us as far as the way these guys work. So I'm not a beard product guy. Typically, I've been using these since January. We only started working with them in April. So I got to use it for a solid three months, Um, you know. I really enjoyed the product. It's helped, you know, my things are a little raggly right now, but, uh, like, it's kept everything so much softer. I like the smells of it. It's just, like, a pleasure to use this stuff. So um, they do everything here locally. So when I say locally, I guess I mean the States. So all the packaging is all from the States. It's not imported from China or somewhere else. <clears throat> it's only using essential oils from a Reiki master in Hawaii that blesses the stuff as opposed to those cheaper fragrance oils for, like, one-ounce bottle of the, uh, the, the essential oils. They're paying like 150, 200 US for those type of things that are actually made from the things they're meant to smell like. For example, there's uh, these aren't the ones I'm talking about tonight, but they have a beard beer where they replicate, you know, an IPA and a stout, and it actually has a scent of hops, and they actually put hops in the essential oils and actually let it soak it up. They put coffee, they put vanilla in the oils. So it's all like super organic, real products. The one I'm talking about tonight, this is one of their beard oils. They have a signature series. So these are just their, their scents are uh, like zero, um, uh, no, it's this one, is uh, like non-scented. So it just kind of smells like oil, but gives you, it doesn't really smell like anything, but gives you beard a nice little uh, softness to it. And number nine is super cool. It smells like lavender, orange blossom, and sandalwood. So it's super, you know, earthy. Um, woodsy, I guess, but it's a it's a super. I think I have this one on right now. Um, it's really really great product. You know, like we wouldn't be we don't really do the sponsor thing here too often at all. So if we decide to work with someone, it's because they have like a craft beer ethos, and these guys really lived up to that. They're actually doing a Brewmaster series, it's called, with brewmasters in the states, like big big names. They're actually recreating their beers in beard oil form, including Lawson's. Uh, uh, Treehouse, Trillium, Vitamin C. So, you know, these guys aren't messing around. Um, of course, we have a deal. If you use the code BAOS21, BAOS21, you get 15% off your first order. Um, or maybe any order. Maybe you do multiple orders. Let me try it. Uh, you, these things are only like 20 bucks a pop. So if you order a couple of them you, and it's over $40, it's free shipping in North America. So, mate, you can't go wrong. Get them for yourself or someone who has a beard, mate. They've made my face feel lovely. My girlfriend loves them, so, mate, can't say anymore. So, with that done, the gentlemen we have tonight are doing something very interesting, unique, and special in Toronto. Their brewery's been open from, they'll tell us more about it, not that long, a year and a bit. Uh, They've been doing some fantastic, high-quality, all-local beers. Um, I'm just going to bring them on. We have Brandon and Max from Aveling in Toronto. Boys. Welcome, welcome. Good to see you guys, man. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a good, uh, good while. It's nice to be on. 
Yeah, man, good to see you guys. Um, this evening, we've got, uh, we got a great lineup of beers. We're going to get the full history finally. Uh, like I was saying, you know, this was not how we all pictured this to go down. I know we'd all spoken about it, but uh, we'll take it for now, you know. So uh, let's get it going. These beers, are, uh, I'm excited, really excited for this one. We're going to start off with the Magpie Hoppy Lager. Hit the uh, the crispies. I love this label, by the way. I love that gradient. It looks so clean. Tell us about this one, guys. Uh, this uh, this year kind of came about. Uh, we spent the last uh, year and a bit um, during lockdown really focusing on uh, process, especially a lager process, but also mm-hmm. um, um, our IPA is always the uh, the non lager that um, sells the best for us. So it's right there amongst all the lagers. So. Kind of um, learned a lot about hop usage and dry hopping. Uh, really improved the sort of uh, a really nitty gritty of our of our lager brewing, and um, we decided that it was a good time to uh, you know marry those two things, right? Um, and make a beer that kind of um, took all of our uh, sort of our pilsner process and um, folded in some of our uh, IPA process, and uh, we ended up with this beer that's uh, made with Australian hops and. Uh, Hence the name. Ontario Oats. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, Ontario Oats and uh, uh, just a really nice, crisp, clean, um, juicy, um, uh, drinkable pale ale, basically, but it's a lager. So it just has a little bit more delicateness and it just kind of, uh, it's a little more focused on the palate um, thanks to that uh, cold fermentation. I love it. Boys, cheers. cheers. It smells great. Which uh, Aussie hops are in here? Um... Predominantly galaxy. Yeah. Wow. Super bright, really tropical. Um, nice, crispy. The body is super, like, what is it, 5%? Yeah. Um, yeah 5%, yeah. Yeah, a little dry. Touch a little, like, like, nice little grass bitterness in there. Um, mm-hmm. So it's technically, so you're saying it's technically a pale ale? And it's... I mean, its recipe would, would be, would fall into a, the lighter side of a pale ale, if not fermented at... Um, you know, 10 degrees. So interesting. Uh, I know some people have been calling a beer like this, um, a cold IPA. Um, that's kind of okay. floating around right now. Um, yeah. I know matron made a cold IPA. Um, so this is sort of in the same realm. Uh, I don't think it really has enough hops to, to be that bear the IPA name. So, um, that's fair. You know, it's, uh, it's comparable to a pale ale, but, uh, you know, you just can't, um, uh, and as far as I'm concerned and, and in my experience, you just can't get the, that type of um, the focus and the sort of snap, the, um, the sort of intense flavor that then folds back in on itself um, right. as easily with the ale yeast as you can with lager that um, just tamping everything down allows, allows you a little more um, uh, control over that. And uh, it's been really intriguing to see how this has developed through its, uh, through its maturation. That's fascinating. I only heard about cold IPAs like two weeks ago. I never really like, I feel like they're starting to get some traction and I was kind of struggling to understand what the real difference was. People were comparing them to like a, try that, like a different version of like an IPL sort of thing, which mm-hmm. I guess is kind of the closest uh, cousin to this type of thing. Yeah, it's like an analog. Yeah, I, w- I would say um, it's, uh, you might go as far as to say it's a rebrand of an IPL. Um, but uh, I do think um, IPLs were around um, the craft brewing scene when uh, lagers were a rarity. So um, I think probably the um, the methods, um, the interest, the knowledge has all um, you know uh, widened and improved. 
mm-hmm. uh, across the whole industry with regards to loggers. So um, uh, I think, you know, cold loggers or cold IPAs rather that are coming out now are going to be of a totally different level than maybe the IPLs or most of the IPLs you might have seen five or five or six years ago. People were just experimenting with loggers for the first time. Right. And I've, uh, would it, for you guys, I mean, being that, uh, you know, obviously uh, the times that we're in, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's a different volume perhaps than what you're normally used to. So did you have some like tank space or something that maybe you were finally able to do uh, a few more of these types of beers? Uh, yeah. So um, Max and I talked, uh, you know, after the, the first summer, um, the things were just so chaotic that we just basically put one foot in front of the other, um, trying to, um, you know, rejig our entire brewery to um, like a hundred percent packaging brewery um, when our model course, is brew yeah. pub. Um, and then on Max's end, I'm sure you can speak on the, the challenges of, of like pivoting the business um, in the same way. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, so, uh, I was just going to say, it's certainly, um, you know, this, I think we were naturally on a course already towards uh, focusing um, more on, on loggers. Uh, it seemed to be a real strength of ours and people responding well to them, which was really exciting for us. And so um, the opportunity to create a beer like this, which was just, it kind of, uh, it's just, I don't know, to me, this is, is kind of a feel good beer in a lot of ways. It's, it's, it's really light. It's perfect for spring it's, yeah. uh spring and summer. It just sort of, um, you know, uh, screams patio. Uh, and, uh, when the opportunity came along, uh, it was a nice fit for, for us to take, uh, what is kind of becoming a, um, you know, an, an un, unspoken, but almost spoken focus for, of us, of ours, uh, being loggers, uh, and, uh, marrying it with these beautiful Australian hops, uh, just in time for hopefully a bit of spring and, and a bit of, uh, some general relaxation of, of, um, uh, restrictions and whatnot. Yeah, man, that would be perfect. It's it's really like a <clears throat> say like here. Like, I don't know what you guys have out there as far as the restrictions for like drinking in in parks and stuff. But here, it's a pretty big thing. I think they took it away from you, didn't they? They had it, and now they stopped it. God damn it! Like this is like a perfect park beer. It's nice and bright, tropical light. It's much they've, they they've uh, given it to us. Actually, it never they have. always. It was yeah. It wasn't uh, wasn't allowed for the longest time, and technically, it's still not allowed. They just said that uh, ticketing uh, responsible drinkers in a park will not be a priority this summer. So make of that what you will. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> that's vague, but hey, I guess we'll take it. Yeah, I love it. Um, this is great. This is fascinating. So do you know what? I want to I want to make sure we get the stories in the beer stories individually, and then we'll move that into uh, to to actually how the brewery came together, how you guys all connected. Um, I don't know whoever wants to start, but if people hadn't watched it, I think it was episode 49 from the original series. Uh, Brandon was on the Lalo episode at the time you were consulting with the boys, shouts to Dan and Colin. And that's when we first connected and you did our first ever collab for uh, my brother's mix album, actually. I'm sorry, album launch. So, you know, we go back a few years now. Um, it's kind of great. That's four years ago. That's wild. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. man, wow. So if you want to hear, people want to hear Brandon's like story in depth, like the whole thing, we, we went pretty deep in that. Definitely go check that out. But uh, whoever wants to start, please go ahead. Let us know how, how you got into beer and sort of how you got to where you're at now. <clears throat> uh, do you want to take it, Max? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
so beer was a sort of uh, not an accident, but it wasn't really the uh, the original plan. My uh, my first line of work was in uh, in restaurants as a cook. Uh, worked here in Toronto. So if you want to hear worked here in Toronto and in uh, Montreal. Um, spent uh, spent about a year working um, at uh, Joe Beef and Liverpool House in Montreal. No way. Uh, yeah, it was a fantastic time. Cool. Yeah, I had a really, really wonderful time working for those guys. And then um, it was actually, uh, I sort of was reaching a point where it was, it was, it was working out really nicely. I was loving Montreal. Uh, and I realized, uh, you know, if I didn't move on, I was sort of seriously at risk of, of never really leaving. Never. So, <laughs> That's uh, how we end up, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So, um, I decided to keep on moving and that uh, took me to the UK, to London. Um and uh, kept cooking, and uh, it was while I was there that doing 15-hour days um, that uh, I sort of thought, you know, uh, I was enjoying it for the most part, but it seemed like not the best use of my time uh, if I was in a new country and um, only had so long there. So brewing was, London was going through its own beer uh, renaissance, its own kind of uh, proliferation of of breweries uh, right the way across the city. So uh, it seemed like a really interesting uh, thing to try to try my hand at in the sense that it was it was creative and technical like cooking. I got to be on my feet all day, uh, which is what I enjoy, but um, didn't have to uh, pull a 15-hour day, which was, which was great. Um, so I actually started volunteering for uh, a brewery, uh, which, uh, as it turns out, was a, was a laundry. Uh, that's an <laughs> interesting story. Um, the uh, the brewery founder had had just gotten out of jail. Uh, he ran, I think it was about a twenty million pound cocaine ring. Um, and uh, after getting out of prison, uh, he said, "Like, what's a it's a cash business? It's really popular right now. I know I'll start a brewery." Um, and amazing. so uh, I only learned that um, around the time I was I was sort of ready to leave. Uh, I spent about a year there, and I was there uh, as tenured employee. So. That was wow. a wild introduction to the brewing world. Um, but what was the name of that brewery? Are you allowed to say? Uh, oh yeah, I mean they've been bought by Carlsberg by now. It was London Fields. Uh, I think uh, the owner has gone back to jail. Uh, okay, he went, went back to jail for um, tax evasion of all things. Which is, oh, they always get you on that. They always get yeah. you on tax evasion. And the, and the Brits are really <laughs> serious about their beer tax. Like they right. do take it. Yeah, they don't mess um, up. Sorry, man. <laughs> No, no problem. But from there, it was sort of, uh, thankfully, a, a sort of um, many kind of continual steps up in, in quality and, and reputation. Um, and as I said, be, sort of being in um, in uh, London at the time, uh, there were breweries were growing just wildly quickly, and so mm-hmm. I got a really fantastic exposure, sort of crash course in uh, not only a lot of um, sort of brewing work, but uh, logistics management, um, distribution, um, you know, did everything from lab work, uh, brewing, um, cellaring, packaging, it was sort of all hands on deck. Uh, and, uh, it was really, really fascinating time. And, um, I was sort of disappointed to have to leave the UK, but visas run out. And so, um, came back to Toronto and, uh, had always had the sort of German idea to, to start a brewery or at least some sort of food related business. Um, I'd always, you know, I sort of thought about turning into the kitchens and um, Aveling started to come together when I thought, okay, well, what if, what if we can kind of bring these worlds together and um, what might that look like? And for me, it really, 
you know, coming from the culinary world where people are so detailed oriented and, and specific about what they're sourcing and how they're using it, what story that tells, uh, I found that, that in brewing that there, there really, really wasn't a brewery that was sort of taking that approach. Not to say it's the right or wrong approach, but you know, a lot of breweries were sort of, um, <coughs> bringing in, uh, whatever ingredients they wanted, which is creatively really liberating, but it, it, it kind of, um, I thought that there may be something missing in terms of telling a, an interesting story about, um, you know, your 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 region, or or uh, even if you're not sourcing from region, you know, just picking a, a sort of uh, a a style or a group of styles to work on and, and really kind of trying to master them. So that challenge was was really interesting, and that that kind of uh, reflection of of the culinary world uh, really appealed to me. So um, yeah, that's kind of aveling that that was the the, the sort of um, the beginning of Abling and uh, as it came together and we found a location, um, Brandon happened to be uh, coming back from, uh, well, he had actually, excuse me, he'd been back from uh, from uh, school in Germany where he'd done uh, beer studies. Um, and we had worked together at, uh, for a very brief moment. Uh, actually, I don't think you could actually say that we worked together. I think I, think I took Brandon's brewing job at Indy Ale House here in Toronto. Uh, uh, so we sort of, uh, we bookended each other, um, and, uh, having, um, I think just through, I mean, I can't remember uh, what it was, Brandon, but I think just probably through the small community that is Toronto brewing, um, you heard that, uh, that we were looking for somebody and we had a, a conversation and it seemed as though things, uh, sort of visions were, were nicely aligned and, um, it just went from there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, um, I had found um, uh, found out that because uh, we had run into each other at uh, Left Field and at Godspeed, just um, uh, you know serendipitously just chatting, uh, and I had heard um, later on, which would have been a few months after the last time we'd seen each other, that you, uh, the project was sort of coming off the ground, and um, it was going to have the rooftop garden and. Uh, yeah, like you said, the, the vision seemed to really align and I was um, um, kind of uh, searching to see what my next move might be um, and uh, the sort of creative um, opportunities and um, uh, sort of long-term vision uh, just was uh, like very, very attractive. Um, so um, we had that conversation and got the ball rolling. Amazing. And that was, so for the time frame. When when did Avling open, and when did kind of the beginnings of it, like the genesis of it, be, uh, start? Uh, yeah. We had a uh, classic the gen- uh, brewery build. The genesis of our conversation, or the genesis of of Avling as idea, as I, an idea. Probably the probably both actually. Well, as an idea, it was sort of mm. uh, you know probably sometime back in when I was in the UK back in you know. Uh, for 2014 um but uh, brandon was about to kind of get into the story of of our uh build out and an eventual opening we started uh we had a conversation i think there was snow on the ground there was a lot of snow on the ground uh i remember that <clears throat> and i think you know was there was we there was yeah it was it was actually a really big storm that day yeah uh, it was like uh, the biggest storm of the year happened later that afternoon so i remember right. i was driving out to uh uh, my friend's dad's memorial, and uh, it was a harrowing drive. It's a truly harrowing drive. So uh, I do; those two things are uh, stuck together in my mind. Uh, so it would have right. been the winter, and it would have been uh, like February, 
February, and then you didn't come on board until September uh, of that year. Um, and then we didn't open until uh, the following July. Okay, right. That's not that's not too bad for a brewery to go down, I guess. No, what's that? Nine, ten months. Well, yeah, the, the it was. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't the worst I've heard of, but um, mm-hmm. it was. Uh, it was quite a challenge. The building, um, if anyone has been to Abling or seen pictures, is um, a pretty ambitious build. Um, and uh, it really kind of, in order to like have the full context of that, um, the building before um, uh, construction was started was um, very old and um, and not in very good repair. Um, so there were walls, like um, exterior wall, needed to be rebuilt. Um, we took out uh, two thirds of the main floor. Uh, rebuilt one third of it and um, built a bridge between um, the two ends, uh, which allows us to have that brewery that's sunk in the basement with enough head um, space or, you know, ceiling space to put the tanks in. Um, so uh, it required digging down in a fairly marshy area of, excuse me, of Toronto. Um, it required um, suspended concrete slab that's capable of holding a tremendous amount of weight. Um, and on top of all of that, you have your regular um, brewery challenges of plumbing and electrical and rigging tanks, and then your brand new brew house, which doesn't work the way you think it's going to work. And all the fun things that uh, I think every brewer um, uh, has been through. Yeah. It's going to be. Uh, there you go, Max, please. Well, I was just going to say the one um, uh, particular trauma that uh, Brandon's leaving out that. Uh, I think probably is is uh, understandable as our our equipment got caught up in the uh, sort of the DME fiasco and so oh we no yeah so we were we were certainly one of the lucky ones but there was uh, a about a month where we really just sort of kind of our, our fate was entirely out of our hands and it it would have uh, sunk the entire project thankfully everything had been completed it was created up and just sort of waiting for delivery um, but. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, we we were we were very lucky though. It was a uh, it was a very uncomfortable month. Yeah, <laughs> for people who don't know what we're talking yes. about, it's it was a company based in uh, BC that were making uh, all, most of the the fermenters and the beer production equipment for for breweries in Canada and beyond. And essentially, uh, you guys can probably speak more to it. We don't have to go into detail, but just for context, they they went under. And they went into receivership, I believe, and then a lot of the breweries, including I know Indy paid like 800K and they lost it all, which is wild. 800,000 is so crazy in an extension. I mean, they had a working yeah. brewery, but oh my God, I couldn't imagine. Like, And, and a yeah, lot of breweries lost was, money. A lot of breweries lost everything. There's a lot of breweries that never got off the ground that um, no one's ever heard of because, uh, because their equipment was lost in like the critical portion and Especially if you're if you're a reasonably small brewery, the cost of your brew house might be you know most of the cost of your business. So if you lose it, or if you lose fifty percent of that, your the financing might not be there for you to to pivot at all, and it's just done. So there are uh, many breweries who um, were uh, sunk by that, um, which is why we count ourselves absolutely among um, the lucky ones, among the luckiest ones, because we actually got our equipment. But um, yeah. Uh, we, I mean, I was out, um, uh, at a bar with my friends and, uh, I got a text from a brewing colleague, um, 
you know, it's like 9.30 p.m. and the news comes out, um, you know, end of day in B.C. So, uh, you know, I'm rushing outside. I'm standing uh, on Bloor Street. It's like uh, late November uh, in a T-shirt making like 400 phone calls uh, trying to figure out uh, what to do because there was actually some uh, value in being uh, earliest to call um, to mm. start to get the ball rolling because um, things get called <clears throat> up pretty fast and, um, you know, uh, certain equipment ends up in other places depending uh, on how uh, people handle uh, receivership. It's uh, somewhat of a muddy business. That's why they put locks on the doors um, <laughs> when somebody gets shut down. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we were grinding really hard um, to coordinate um, getting it out and um, shipping it uh, across the country on our own dime, um, which was something that we um, had already paid for at once, uh, and storing it and uh, needing to commission it, which was something we had paid uh, up front uh, NSI to do this for us, uh, and that evaporated, so we ended up having to uh, pay for it again. And, uh, uh, Long story short, that was another huge hiccup, um, you know, and a very interesting curveball, uh, but one we managed to, um, you know, uh, get through. And uh, we got the equipment. We got almost everything. Um, all of the tanks came with uh, none of the attachments they're supposed to come with. They were just uh, empty uh, stainless uh, conicals, uh, no valves, no... Uh, uh, manway gaskets, no uh, pressure sensors, uh, nothing. Um, right. we, we got the racking arms. That was sort of a huge surprise and a win. Uh, uh, so you're sourcing all of that as well. And uh, meanwhile, the building is still um, uh, presenting uh, a thousand challenges a day. So uh, yeah, it was quite it was quite the project. Um, <laughs> and you know, the results though uh, make everything worth it. it. I think the building is uh, it's it's unique. Uh, it's um, a very vibrant and um, well, you know, it's energetic but calming, uh, which is a really um, uh, sort of amazing balance that our architect uh, struck. Um, and uh, it's the, the the design of the building, especially architecturally, something I like to um, highlight as much as I can. I'm very proud of it, and I had really nothing to do with it, so uh, I feel comfortable uh, singing its praises uh, <laughs> because it's uh, it's really special. It's really special what. Um, uh, this company was able to design with um, with uh, Max's input, and, and uh, um, it was uh, it's really it you know through all that uh, fire uh, we ended up uh, uh, with something really special. So we're quite proud of it. That's great. Yeah, that's so great. I mean, look, it's a beautiful building too, man. Like I've been there a couple times. Energetic yet calming is a great way to describe it. The tap room is bright spacious high ceilings a nice i love like the, the, the rounded bar in the middle of the the right in the middle of the space which i <clears throat> excuse me um i haven't i don't recall really seeing that type of thing uh often at all if at all um the bridge that you were talking about i don't think people are really picturing it it's the coolest thing ever to be able to like you know leave from the the tap room and and, and you walk across this like let's say suspended, but it's not a straight up concrete bridge. You can look either side, see all the tanks, and it's it's just so cool. And then coming into the the I believe the retail store still on the other side. It was last no, time it's up front. No, no, up front now. Yeah, oh, that would make sense with everything that's happening. But last time I was there, I think it was probably like February last year. I think I think I came once to see my brother, and I think you and I met Max, and I came another time 
I think there was a February, and then we came to see you, Brandon, and then you gave us the tour, and we checked out downstairs, and the first barrels and all that type of stuff, and uh, yeah, it's a super beautiful place, and, and incredibly well located as well. Um, the one thing I didn't get to see, and I'm, I'm annoyed I didn't get to see it, was the, the rooftop, uh, obviously, but it was February, and miserable and probably not that much happening so i think brandon you were like now nah, you got to come back in the summer man it's gonna be cool i'm like i'll be back yeah, Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly right yeah and then two months later no one's going anywhere <laughs> anyway. uh, yeah it was yeah it's really right under the wire uh but yeah i'd, I'd stand by that you kind of don't want to spoil it you know when you see it in in june um when everything is in like full blown bloom um, it's really, it's really quite an experience. I, I tend to spend time in the summer at the end of the day and just go up there and just sit. Um, it's, it's just like a calm, you know, being around plants is a very calm experience. And, uh, uh, it's, uh, I count myself very lucky to be able to just walk up the stairs and sit among all of these things that our, our gardeners have grown, these beautiful crops. And many of them, stuff you don't always see, um, around Toronto or Ontario, some uh, creative, um, you know, herbs and plants and, um, some experimental stuff. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a cool part of the, cool part of the business. Yeah. I love it. I love, I just love the whole concept of having like a rooftop garden in the middle of the, you know, like one of the coolest areas in Toronto in the East end. And you're able to use these, uh, you know, the herbs and the plants. And like you were saying, there's one of the beers we're drinking later that, I, I imagine a lot of these beers. I'd actually love to know from each one as we go with what was from the uh, the the you know the rooftop. I know the marigolds, I believe, are in Orpheus. Um, things like that, which we'll get to you know, down the track a bit. But um, yeah, it's just such a cool concept. I don't know if we want to get into that now. If we want to, maybe I'm looking at the time. We're about half an hour in. I kind of maybe feel like we should get to the next one. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I'll save it for uh, for Orpheus. It's uh, love to talk. Great one. Great yeah, idea. Yeah, it's a good story for that. Sick, I'd love to. So the next beer, I believe, is uh, staying in the crispy boy realm. Um, yeah, yeah. We we'll stick with uh, Tahoma. Yeah, let's go with Tahoma. Uh, it's a it's a it's a nice foil to the magpie that we just uh, drank. Um, oh. Where this is like a more sort of uh, modern take on a hoppy beer using uh, New World, uh, especially Southern Hemisphere hops. Um, very crisp. Um, you know the malt. The malt is not a, a you know a uh, driving uh, part of uh, the um, the balance of the beer. Um, it's really it's all about the hops and a little bit of the freshness and acidity. Uh, Tahoma is a little more old school. Um, okay. It is a little more um, sort of Pacific Northwest, um, and uh, it's still very fruity, uh, but it's got some resin to it, uh, and it's got a, a much um, you know. Um, earlier malt profile. It uses a different base malt. It uses a couple um, uh, sort of um, uh, not not specialty malts, but uh, things like Munich Vienna that uh, really build out the richness of the malt. And uh, all of that is sort of uh, to, you know, present a different style of dry hop lager, one that, um, you know, has a bit of, uh, you know, maybe a, a Vienna lager in it, maybe a little bit of... Uh, that kind of uh, deep maltiness, and uh, uh, it's one of my personal favorites. It's, um, yeah, I think it's a beer that a lot of brewers would uh, would like as well. It's um, uh, something you don't see a ton of anymore because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of drinkers are, are more interested in the newer 
um, stuff like magpie, stuff like hazies. But uh, I think uh, these these beers have a have a place, and I think uh, be interesting to see whether uh, palates come back around to them. We certainly um, Tohoma has been quite popular amongst our patrons, uh, but um, you know the wider beer world is uh, um, is not quite um, there's not really into those things right now. Right. And what makes it old school is the, the malt profile specifically. Because I didn't see dry hop yeah, lager. I think bit, new school. I, yeah, so that's the thing. It's, it's got a foot in both camps. And, uh, but yeah, like a, uh, a, a hoppy beer that um, has a malt presence, sort of, at this day and age, is itself old school. Old Most school. hoppy beers don't gotcha. have a malt presence at all, right? Um, yeah, yeah, true. And beyond that, it's got quite a bit of bitterness to it. It's a very clean bitterness. It's very front of your mouth, so it doesn't really stick around your cheeks or sort of um, get aggressive or um, feel astringent. Uh, but it's bitter enough to really um, kind of open your eyes. Uh, I always describe this as like my perfect spring beer um, because it's, uh, you know, no matter the temperature, it, it fits the spring. If it's raining, it's got enough um, sort of uh, intensity and, and uh, warming uh, ability uh, to, you know, cut through the rain. But if it's uh, unseasonably warm, this has still got all the fruit and hops and, and refreshing um, aftertaste that you're looking for. I love it. Boys, cheers. Get it in you. Mm. Yes, yeah, it's dope. It's, it's actually it's in contrast. It's actually really cool to have this back to back from uh, from Magpie after hearing these uh, the, the explanations of the two beers. I'm definitely getting that darker malt. Like your Vienna, the like Solari is one of my favorites uh, ever. But um, I think mm-hmm. it's uh, that one. I think it's called Foxtail. The Zwickle. Money, yeah. money. I love those two beers. So I like that this has got a bit of that. Uh, um, you know, the, the darker malts in here, like just a touch to give it that different profile. So now I, I definitely understand because it's like a, it's like a tang in this beer that I couldn't put my finger on um, mm. previously. Am I describing that right? Like may, maybe it's just a, it's the way that the specific, you know, Southern Hemisphere hops hit this malt profile or something, but there's like this uh, little sweet, not tart, but in that world, unless I'm completely... No, you know, you're not. You're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, one of the, one of the things that uh, we really obsess about in all of our beers, but um, especially hoppy beers, and um, a little less so in the lagers, but it, it still applies, is um, getting a nice um, uh, level of acidity to it. Um, we don't want beers to be tart that aren't supposed to be tart. But mm-hmm. um, I always think of it like seasoning um, when you're cooking. Um, uh, acid is is um, at least as important as salt, and um, getting uh, whatever dish it might be, whether it's a sauce or or, or whatever, um, some shrimp or uh, you know a nice stir fry, uh, getting like a squeeze of lemon or a splash of vinegar. Um, if you hit it at the right level, it doesn't really taste strongly of those um, of that fruit or that vinegar. It just pops the rest of the flavors. So. Uh, and here we do we do um, work hard to make sure that the beer gets to as low a pH as as reasonably um, uh, as it reasonably can, and uh, that does give you a little bit of that a little bit of a twang um, that uh, sort of uh, brightens the beer, and especially with hops that you know it, you it, it gets red as fruit um, when you have uh, a little more acidity uh, because you know in your brain in everyone's brain you associate fruit flavors with 
the acidity that is natural in fruits. So uh, if you can kind of find that um, that balance where you're not, um, you know, it's not a sour beer, but it, it is bringing some of those um, fruit acidity characteristics out, uh, I think it just makes the hops taste more like how you want them to taste. Gotcha. I love it. That makes so much sense. I've always been curious about that. Um, yeah, this is a fantastic beer, and it's, it's really cool to see the diversity between the uh, you know within the same realm of, of uh, styles that you guys do. And uh, you know, I've had that before, you know, multiple IPAs and all the different things, different saisons and grisettes and stuff. Um, before we even get into stuff like that, I don't even think we even really talked about what you both do at the brew. Um, I actually didn't know, Max, that you had started as a brewer. I had no idea. I thought you would be the brains behind it and the, the owner, but I, it, I, like, I guess multiple questions, what do you both do and are there other co-founders or anything or is that mostly uh, uh, your thing, Max? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, they're kind of our other, um, other partners, the, uh, <laughs> the bank being the largest one uh, <laughs> and most demanding. Of course. Um, but, um, yeah, as you say, I sort of uh, founder, owner, and wearer of, of many hats uh, at the brewery. Um, these days, it's it's been a lot of uh, sort of helping to facilitate um, the home delivery, uh, helping to kind of focus and uh, target the messaging around uh, sales and uh, social promotions. It's, uh, it's a lot about uh, trying to... Um, assist and support sales, uh, understand where, um, you know, it's where it's worthwhile to just sort of send our, our sales reps, uh, you know, whose door is worthwhile knocking on as opposed to who's kind of wound things down until, until things open up again. Um, but in, in kind of, uh, easier times and better times, um, I sort of, uh, I see my role and, and what I kind of enjoy the most is, um, being having come from both the sort of culinary world and the and the brewing world um, a while ago now, I guess um, is being a kind of go between and helping to facilitate um, the collaboration between uh, the three levels, the three departments: so brewery, kitchen, and garden. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's really kind of the the heart of of what Abling's all about. We're trying to um, kind of create these really. Uh, um, beneficial on-site circular loops and, and um, try to kind of mimic the type of circularity, the type of, of uh, you know, shift in focus of shift in, in approach to sourcing and production and, and um, you know, mimic that on-site um, to the practices we'd like to see, um, you know, used more widely. So um, talking to the gardeners and understanding what is coming up over you know the, the the season and then trying to relay that to the kitchen and um hopefully have an insight as to what the reality of of the kitchen is and the reality of the brewery is and what might be possible and what is impossible and, and sort of picking projects that's uh, that's really kind of um where uh i get a lot of enjoyment out of what i do and um and i think as we as we kind of you know, month after month, so we get a little bit more experience. It's it's the the whole system is really coming into its own. I love it. That's great. That's uh, that's some great context. And Brandon, so you are the head brewer, the own. I imagine not the only brewer. Are you running the no, show? No, um, no, um, <clears throat> no. I'm, I, I, yeah, my title would be the head brewer. So I started uh, alone at the beginning, and then um, 
uh, not too long after we opened, we brought on our first brewer, Taylor, um, and she's been there since uh, August of 2019. Nice. That's when we opened, right? So, yeah, yeah, August 2019. Yeah. She'll be coming up two years. Oh, yeah, uh, we've just yeah. opened. Yeah. Yeah, we're coming up two years. Uh, it's hard to uh, wrap your head around because the last year has just not felt like um, <laughs> any other year. So it, 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 it at once feels like less than two years and much more. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we recently brought on another brewer, Brittany, uh, who is um, uh, came on uh, just about two months ago. Okay. So we're up to a team of three um, with uh, different three. projects right. we do. Um, three brand issues. We, uh, <laughs> just talk about how time oh, you're right. goes. Yeah. yeah, God damn. Yeah, three months. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Uh, okay. Yeah. I love it. All right. So there's a bunch of things I kind of want to get into as far as like, and you both uh, touched on, um, you know, the, the, the way that you guys aligned in the styles and things you wanted to bring. So I definitely want to get into that. But I also want to get into the, the maybe this might be good to set this out now, like kind of like the vision for the brewery because you guys, like maybe in a overarching type of umbrella way as far as, you know, you guys do have, it's almost surprising because you you were saying that you want to you know come and do a bit and I'm probably paraphrasing I may even be incorrect here but you know, do a little something a little more traditional I know you know Brandon you studied in Europe and you take all of this you were doing all this stuff long like I didn't appreciate it when we met now it's my the crispies are like my everything that I really appreciate in the way I did it before and luckily the beer world is moving in that direction but you guys are doing a lot of traditional for lack of a better word I don't know if I like that necessarily but you know styles that are would you know have been around for a long time uh, and doing your own little twist on it but um you know obviously there's the local aspect that i'd love to get into uh maybe position that because it really sets the tone for all of the beers that are going to we're going to get through tonight and the way that you approach that and i i had an idea that's what it was but i didn't realize it was like oh that's why we we were talking about coffee stouts earlier just kind of joking and you're like, oh, we can't do those because it doesn't fit in with the ether. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know it was that real. So I'd love to maybe get into a bit of that and that kind of overall vision and the way that you guys have sort of set this thing off with these really, like, fantastic, unique sort of uh, framework for a brewery. Yeah, yeah, so one thing Max and I have, have talked about uh, uh, a lot, like, consistently through this is how much, how important it is that... Um, uh, local beers are, or local anything is um, high quality. Um, that uh, local for local sake is um, uh, probably as a long-term strategy, not um, uh, not the best it could be. Uh, you don't want people whose first uh, you know foray into drinking uh, a, a high percentage Ontario beer to make them think that Ontario ingredients can't make. A good beer, and then you've kind of lost them, at least for a while, as a customer. It's your first impression. So, yeah. um, we have uh, been uh, working hard to make sure that the beers we make um, with local ingredients are really high quality, and um, while also um, keeping in mind that uh, there's expectations uh, in Toronto of what kind of beer you can expect to get at a brewery. Uh, and that um, we don't want to be, uh, you know, so dogmatic that we uh, we don't make some of the beers that we think are really, uh, really great and that we love. So um, 
sort of the beers we're going through um, rep- tonight kind of represent um, the different sort of buckets of beers that we make. Um, so our predominant focus is um, is these three uh, kind of groupings. So the the two lagers we just had are um, are about just high quality lager brewing, which we think is um, sort of um, at once um, a uh, a growing trend that um, we're really excited about, um, and you can see it all across the states and increasingly in Canada, um, while at the same time being timeless. Um, it, it's truly, you know, what's old is new in this case, that this these styles of lagers have uh, been around and been um, popular for this long because um, they're, you know, they're the right balance um, of, uh, you know, intriguing and rich and um, something you can think about, but also something you can just drink and enjoy. And, um, you know, uh, that focus on drinkability uh, without sacrificing flavor is sort of... Um, what I think is timeless about it. Um, as we move on, the next two beers we're going to have are part of our um, 99% uh, series. So um, 99% of the ingredients in those beers um, come from Ontario. Okay. Um, so uh, that's sort of another grouping that includes uh, tonight. We're going to have our um, our sort of cherry saison and um, our carry on, which is our, um, our our honey beer, our beer de miel. Um, that one marries the garden into the local focus. Um, and then we'll have some barrel beers, which are also 99%, but represent a little more of a, um, a sort of elegant, um, more long-term, uh, slow beer, um, mm. stuff that takes over a year to, um, come to maturity sometimes longer. Uh, and as we go forward, uh, Max can touch on this. We're sort of uh, working with local farmers to try to work. Uh, try to incorporate um, uh, new grains and um, innovative or uh, sort of um, uh, regenerative farming techniques um, uh, into some of the ingredients we use from Ontario. So it's not just about being local. It's about sort of investing in um, the uh, like a sustainable food economy in this province. Cool. I love it. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, Max, go for it. Well, I was just because that's 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 really well said, um, and it you know it, it kind of uh, I think it bears mentioning that like the two loggers that we've had so far are actually uh, kind of two of the outliers when it comes to the, the loggers we make. Um, really, what we um, quite deliberately what we we started with and what we sort of established our name with was uh, was a really classic pills, uh, followed pretty quickly yes. by. Um, a bohemian lager, um, a light bohemian lager 3.9, which uh, we were all kind of um, secretly wondering, uh, quietly wondering if it, uh, people were actually going to be interested, and then they were in a big way, which was um, really uh, pleasing for us. Um, but yeah, I mean, sort of turning uh, attention to these these 99 beers, um, yeah, I think it's it's sort of an excellent point that Brandon made about you know local for local sake is really not. Um, it's not productive. It's not going to to benefit in the long run the sort of local food economy and um, sort of sustainable uh, food economy. And so, you know, I think we, if if we wanted to, we could make a lot more ninety nine percent beers. But um, we strike a little bit of a balance with, you know, the loggers and the traditional loggers are certainly something that we we decided we want to make. And so, there's a a, a sort of uh, a compromise there. 
but also, you know, um, for want of, of the quality of ingredients uh, from Ontario, uh, you know, we have to kind of cap it at a certain amount. Um, we so far only source uh, Ontario hops from one farm. Um, right. And that's uh, largely because uh, we just, we love their product and uh, we find it to be really consistent. In fact, it's improving. Um, and so, you know, we've got to be, we've got to be careful where we, where we use those hops, uh, not just because they're so uh, brilliant, but, um, you know, in terms of Ontario hops and, and the beers that we're able to make that are 99%, um, that's it. So, um, it's, it's, it's not, we're not dogmatic about it, but it's sort of, uh, where we can and where we feel as though we can sort of put the best product forward. Um, we put a lot of attention and are really, really thoughtful about it. Um, sometimes, uh, like with, uh, the, I think either carry on or, uh, or the cherry, uh, saison that's up next. Um, sometimes we have a little bit of latitude to play with and particularly the cherry saison is one, uh, just because of the, um, uh, it is a tart saison. It's got a bit more assertive, uh, acid profile as well as the, uh, the cherries that are, that also bring a pretty, um, kind of commanding flavor. We uh, we didn't necessarily kind of compromise on on flavor, but we sort of it was a bit of a roll of the dice. We for the the grain for that beer, um, we uh, work exclusively with one pig farmer. We get our, all of our pork from from one farmer, and he uh, is sort of super super forward thinking and progressive with how he, he raises his pigs. And this will make sense in a second. Um, he moves his pigs around from field to field to pasture to pasture and they sort of, they forage, they root around, they're um, largely, uh, you know, kind of eat what is naturally occurring in these fields. And um, in order to protect the soil, to encourage biodiversity and to sort of make sure that his pigs have got the best things to eat possible, as I say, he moves them around from field to field and the fields that are empty, he will plant uh, grain in order to um, sort of stabilize and regenerate those fields. And so we uh, normally, he just cut that grain into some of his pig feed, uh, the little bit that he does add to their diet um, as opposed to what they can forage. But uh, in the case of the uh, the Saison, the Brevest, we took that grain from him, uh, sent it to Barnell Malt, had it malted, um, and used it in this beer. So Cool. We sort of are, are stepping into that cycle of regenerative agriculture as a um, both a consumer and a producer and, and creating a sort of novel income stream for a farmer that is doing really responsible forward-thinking things. And um, that, for me at least, is, is one of the more exciting uh, opportunities that we have as a, as a sort of small brewery is to be able to engage directly with uh, individual farmers who are doing really important uh, work in the context of changing how uh, our food is grown and raised um, and supporting them um, by, as I say, creating a, you know, almost a completely novel income stream. We're, we're, be, we're able to pay uh, more for that grain uh, than he really would save in terms of, uh, you know, saving on, on food cost. So uh, we're able to kind of incentivize or, or reinforce these really positive uh, loops, which is uh, exciting. That's so cool, man. Uh, this was, I'm really glad you brought that side of things up because I was, you know, it was great that you know, Brandon touched on the beer stuff, which is super cool. Like I said, I wasn't aware that that was like, that was, you know, the mandate here, which I love. 
And I also really love you both mentioned the local for local sake. I had a conversation with somebody recently where there was someone in one of the beer groups were like, oh, if you don't buy, you know, don't go spend or spend on the hype shit, like buy local or like, well, what's local though? Like you, you're trying to, you know, it's like local for local sake. Or what if, what if the hype stuff is local? What if it's, you know, so I really enjoy that conversation. But the other side, you named the brewery is actually Aveling Brewery and Kitchen. So I'd love to hear where that ethos comes through in the kitchen. Both, I guess you've got the garden, which kind of speaks for itself. And I imagine it's mostly local when I, you know, Ontario, um, uh, what was the word? I don't know, like plants. Or plants like in, um, uh, native native crops, indigenous plants, Thank that you. kind of thing. Crops, that's yeah. the word. Exactly. And then also to the kitchen. I think uh, I was aware of this mostly through through my brother was telling me about how amazing the food is there. And you've got like a butcher type of situation happening. I think you guys, are, I'm not sure if you're selling the meat, but maybe don't just touch on what you guys are doing and how that ethos comes through into the kitchen, the, the food offering in the brewery itself, the butcher stuff, and, and then that garden, how it all plays together there. It's super cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, as I mentioned off the top, it's, it's actually more of the sort of ethos of the kitchen coming through to the brewery in some respects. Right. Um, in so much that, um, you know, we, I mentioned we've got one pork supplier, we've got one beef supplier. In normal operating times, we bring in a side of beef and a whole pig and go through 100% of that sort of one and a, those one and a half animals uh, as opposed to 15% of 120 animals. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the kitchens that I admire, the kitchens that I worked in, it was really the, uh, those ingredients were, were selective, really carefully selected. And they were there to tell a story and that they were part of the chefs, um, their, their worldview and, and what was important and what was sort of, they had an emotional connection to and, um, I think the best restaurants, even if you didn't know the chef's story, if you didn't really know why they were chosen, that, that still came through and, and that kind of um, intangible quality is a big part of what makes the best restaurants in the world so so excellent and, and so kind of emotionally impactful. And um, So, yeah, I mean, in the, in the kitchen, we, we, as much as we can, being a brew pub and being a sort of neighborhood restaurant that wants to be able to to welcome as many people as possible. Um, you know, we're, 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 we try to have a, a one-on-one relationship with uh, as many suppliers as we can. Um, we, uh, you know, the whole animal uh, procurement, we've uh, um, worked a lot with 100 Kilometer Foods here in Ontario, which has been a, a huge, a real champion for um, not just local food, but they sort of realized that uh, a big missing piece of the puzzle is infrastructure. So small farmer, you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's not hard for a small farmer to, to, uh, you know, raise crops and be successful. What is the barrier is how does that farmer get their product to market and and what, and to what market, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, farmers are good at farming. They're generally not great at marketing or distribution or logistics. And so other kilometer has come and come in and identify those talented responsible farmers and been that marketing logistics distribution uh, tool for them, which has been huge. Um, And as you touched on that, I mean, the butcher that we've got is, is it's sort of, uh, it is a big part of our circularity, the why um, we, you know, we're able to bring in whole animals because we have a really talented butcher that is able to make uh, use of, of a hundred percent of, of the animal that does come in. And uh, even, 
right down to uh, the excess fat that comes off the animal. It goes to the butcher's uh, wife who makes it into soap. We sell that soap in uh, at the retail store. We, uh, since having been closed, we've sold the sausages, uh, chops, burgers, um, charcuterie. Charcuterie has been a huge, huge win for us. Um, and it just is an excellent part of the reality of, of um, using a whole animal. I mean, it, charcuterie came about Yes, because it's tasty, but yes, but also you needed to save and 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 preserve uh, the animal that you you know you couldn't eat the entirety of it all in one go. So uh, it it makes a lot of sense, and it's been a it's been fantastic for us. So um, in as many ways as possible, we try to as I you know we try to connect each department and each person um, in dabbling should kind of you know there should be a clear line to the people on either side of them and they should kind of hopefully see and hopefully be thinking about, um, how it can all be connected. And, and, uh, I think we're, we're, we're so far doing a decent job of that. That's so cool, man. I, I love hearing that whole, like the full circle thing from, you know, every, every element of the business it all ties in. I didn't know about the soap and the pig fat. That is cool. You know? Like, yeah. so like on a really basic it. level, like the, um, we grew some things like, uh, lavender, um, lemon verbena herbs, that kind of thing. It obviously, makes its way up onto the menu and, and into the beers. Oh, oh of course, the lavender. So. Um, is it like a lavender saison or something? Wouldn't it? The lavender. Yeah, yeah. Celine. Money. Celine. Okay. So cool. Yeah, that was Taylor's beer. Our uh, our brewer Taylor. That was her first beer that she designed for Evans. So I really enjoyed that one. It was quite a success. And that was from obviously uh, from the group. Yeah. Okay. 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 Um, I was just going to say, yeah, in the, uh, from the kitchen, we make our own sourdough. The sourdough that isn't sold, we freeze. And then once we get to a certain amount of frozen bread, that then goes into uh, our uh, twice-baked Hefeweizen. Oh, and then our spiked grains go back, to, go back to a farmer. So there's just – it's sort of no such thing as a byproduct where, you know, somebody's, uh, somebody's byproduct can always be somebody else's input. That is sick. I feel like that is not super common. Like this, I don't think I've ever heard that le- this level of dedication to that. I think uh, I think it, it it exists. It exists a little more. Uh, not not to. Um, I, I think uh, sort of the vision and, and the execution Max has put into this shouldn't be, um, you know, lessened in any way. Uh, but but we're not alone. This is becoming um, a uh, an important part of you know the future of food. Um, it is it, to be more responsible about it. And the best the best way to do that is to is to reduce waste. Right. Um, recycling is really not the ideal solution. The ideal solution is not to have waste. Hmm. Um, then you don't have to put energy or money into um, you know recycling things. So um, uh, finding a way to get more use out of waste products um, uh, is is a first simple way um, that uh, that we started in the brewery, for example, with. Um, up here we're going to have it a little bit. The uh, brevis is, is made um, almost entirely with um, uh, uh, cherry pomace. So um, we work with a juicing company that um, uh, they take whole cherries and, and they juice them uh, to create uh, you know a cherry juice. And uh, what's left over is usually organic waste. Uh, but the skins in the pits are completely full of flavor, and um, we are able to take what would be their um, waste product and uh, reuse it in our brew house um, and gain a huge amount of cherry flavor out of it. And um, then eventually it goes to 
um, organic waste, but it has been processed twice. It has been broken down uh, to a very significant degree. Uh, so not only are we, you know, doubling um, its sort of food value, we are also, um, you know, starting the process of its um, sort of organic decay um, so that when it uh, does reach the, um, uh, you know, organic waste disposal, it's it's on its way. So, um, it, you know, this this kind of this kind of reuse, I know um, uh, there's a couple of restaurants I've been to, uh, one in Copenhagen where they're using old coffee grounds, where they're using, um, uh, you know, wastewater from uh, rinsing mushrooms in order to make cheese. This kind of thing is becoming um, a really intriguing way to, um, uh, uh, to reinvent food and to innovate food uh, while at the same time, uh, you know, reducing your footprint. Max, were you going to say something? Uh, I was, well, I was going to, yeah, um, kind of on the same note about, uh, using the juice company's waste. I mean, if we were to use fresh cherries ourselves, I mean, those would have to come from at best Niagara, if not further away. So we're not only kind of getting second use out of this fruit and, uh, sort of taking it a step further to full decomposition, but we're getting a, a really flavorful uh, beer that is full, chock full of cherry flavor um, without having to, you know, cherry puree would have to, you know, cherries would be grown somewhere. They'd be taken to a facility where they'd be processed and then they'd be uh, flash frozen and then taken to a, you know, a freezer warehouse and then they'd be taken to a distributor and then they'd arrive to us. Um, so we're, we're kind of cutting out all those steps uh, as well. So it's, um, it's a small thing, but, but the more that we can kind of turn off these rocks and, and discover these, these, um, these opportunities, um, you know, hopefully, you know, I'd be, I'd love if other people started doing this as well. Um, it should, I should also mention that this is the, uh, the one opportunity that we give ourselves the sort of one of the, the loopholes that we open up in terms of uh, strict local mandate. If we can use a product that's, that's, um, that's already, that's waste that's sort of already been used. Uh, we let ourselves off the off the hook for Ontario only. So we've yeah. made beers with pineapple, lime, grapefruit, lemon, uh, all of which have been pressed for juice. So um, obviously no Ontario pineapples, but uh, we figure that you know they've made it here, they've been processed, so uh, they've sort of um, you know honorary uh, Ontario produce at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking that because I've had the pineapple breakfast before, and I was wondering how that worked. The only reason I yeah, so it, yeah go. Yeah, with, with both the pineapple and the lime, this is another juicing company we work with. Um, uh, same thing. In, in this case, uh, we actually we see a lot of value in reusing it. Um, it, it, is, it is sort of a loophole we've opened up, but uh, we do see pretty significant value there. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of food miles that go into um, that, um, you know, bottle of pineapple juice um, that you might have bought at, a, at an organic store or something. Um and uh, we sort of think if we have used that, the waste product, we've cut those food miles in half. So um, because the pineapples that went into that juice also went into our beer, um, they traveled the same distance, but uh, we got double the product out of them. So each product represents kind of half of the food miles. So if we can extend the life, we reduce um, uh, the food miles um, and... 
uh, with the lime and the lemon, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, there's just an unbelievable amount of um, citrus that's brought in, and obviously none of it's grown in, in Ontario. Um, and there are, like, uh, you can obviously have um, citrus peel added. Um, that's not um, what we choose to do. The, uh, the citrus we use is, um, is not further processed. So there is... Um, some remaining juice in it. Um, there is some pith in it, and um, they're basically reamed. So it is truly just a um, sort of raw um, uh, byproduct of, of juice making, um, and um, this allows us, again, as to um, Max's point, the um, uh, skipping the steps in between also helps because you're skipping energy. Uh, you're skipping gas from trucking it from one place to the other. Um, we're taking it direct from their press um, to us. Um, so there's only one trip to make. And um, uh, I think the, uh, the quality of, of fruit flavor we get out of them is, is um, uh, honestly surprising. Um, when we started this, I was, uh, um, I'm really pleasantly surprised just how much, um, like, specific character you get out of it. it it tastes like cherries it tastes like pineapple um you could probably get away um uh you know if you if you poured it for a friend um saying there was whole pineapples in it they would not think twice but right. uh, there's no whole pineapples it's just um yeah, it's, this this byproduct i love it i feel like we've uh we've spoken about it a lot I'm, should we get into it i think we should yeah, I've, uh, I, I mean i actually have not had this but i'm quite excited um, so do you mind getting the cherry? The cherry? Cherry. cherry. Um, I was going to ask, why are you sort of pouring this one? Um, a question I've always had for you guys, and this is something I really love, is the smaller format cans, like the short cans. What? Mm. Why did you guys choose to go for the small cans overall? That was, I, I mean, getting into the, uh, the craft beer um, scene and, and kind of starting to brew uh, in the U.K., Tall cans were not a thing, not, not existing, and it, actually they were existing, but it was it's like uh, tenants and Strongbow and Stella, uh, and that. yeah, exactly, yeah. kind of um, big tins, and so um, yeah, yeah. I I imagine as as these things tend to do uh, sort of American craft beer trends and the waves, uh, the ripples that it casts out probably reached London about this time. It's been a little while, so uh, I'm sure there's a lot of tall cans there now. Um, but, uh, you know, from my perspective, it was just, I don't, you know, I think a beer only really, uh, it starts to warm up. It's, it's, the quality is, is a little questionable after um, 500 mils or <laughs> or 75 or whatever it is. Um, and uh, these, it just seemed a bit more manageable. And I think on the horizon were sort of signs that this might be happening. Not to say that I, I kind of, you know, saw this coming from a mile away, but um, really in all honesty, it was, it was sort of a, uh, a kind of choice of, of perceived quality and, and preference. Um, and uh, I think left field and, and who else had started to small short can by that point. Um, we certainly weren't the first ones, but um, eastbound Godspeed kind of a, your whole area. Actually, the East end is pretty short. Yeah. And heavy. Dark, I Which, think some... uh, you know, again, uh, East End is, it's a little bit, it's the sort of, uh, the East End breweries are, are 
you know, almost uh, as a rule, a lot younger than the West End ones. Um, sure. And so maybe uh, maybe it's sort of the tide had turned by the time the East End breweries popped up here in Toronto. Um, but uh, yeah, it just they they kind of um, seemed to be uh, the way things were going. So I kind of we made a bit of a call. Love it. It's it's. I think it's one of the. I much prefer these. Like I said, like I would rather drink more of less. Uh, particularly in the the way that I have to drink beer, it's consume a lot to document a lot to then promote a lot, and it's easier for me if I've got little smaller guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we. Oh, I noticed it's got elderberries in it too. So that's like a nice little. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the deal yeah. with the elder? Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. I was just saying this is sort of um, obligatory uh, shout out, obligatory kind of. Um, uh, uh, plug for Wellington Made, which is um, my uh, my partner's mother's company. Uh, cool. My girlfriend Madison, her, her parents live on a farm in Wellington County, and uh, for two years running now, we've I've gone and uh, picked some elderberries, and um, we've used some whole, but by and large, it's again been um, the elderberry must, the the pressings. Um, and must. I think Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong. This was all pressings, elderberry um, mm-hmm. pomus pressings yeah mm-hmm. yeah we so, used all the whole elderberries in a different beer thank you Shelley I love yeah. that so yeah. what I, I think is that is it, okay stupid elderberry questions I know obviously I would imagine most people don't know much about elderberries um, what do they contribute to uh, to this type of beer is it, is it color I imagine they're probably not as dark as the cherries like is they're, it no, like, actually, they're significantly they're significantly darker than the cherries. Really? They're, they're, oh. Yeah, they're very aggressive. You can use them as like a dye. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, they're um, they're sort of uh, like if you imagine like a dark cherry or a blueberry with like mixed with the wine grape. Um, they've got uh, some serious funk and uh, like a tannic backbone, but they have that sort of like somewhat low acidity. Um, dark fruit character. Uh, it's tough for me to describe it accurately because they are unique. quite unique. Um, what yeah, are they closest they, they have, to? Like a black currant or a... Uh, yeah, 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 but um, less acidic. Yeah, less again, acidic. I could only do it in, in, in really in blends. I'd say, like, take a uh, take a black currant and, uh, uh, like, a very dark... Um, raisin almost like a like a a dried mm-hmm. cherry um and and blend those flavors that's sort of the first thing that comes to my mind after elderberry which is you know uh, it, itself right. is it, it's an interesting flavor i encourage people to try it you can get elderberry juice and extract too it's used in a lot of um natural uh remedies um mm-hmm. so it, they're delicious they're really really interesting and they in this beer um we wanted to incorporate them for a couple reasons one because um, they were super local and they're another um, pressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, it's um, they, they do uh, um, contribute sort of a um, um, you know an unknown um, um, layer um, that integrates very well with the rest of the fruit character um, and, and just kind of um, enriches it. Right, that's really cool. It's, I mean, I guess it's like and kind of makes sense that. Uh they do sound like like a, a a fruit that might not be something. I don't think I've ever seen like one a single fruited elderberry beer really. Like I've seen like house cap berry, like which I think is also another mm-hmm. local thing to 
this general you know, Quebec, Ontario region. But um, no, I think that's uh, that's actually super fascinating. The this is this is great. So just to um, confirm here, for, so it's got the cherry pomace, the elderberries, the cherry juice, and it does have the remainder of like the pits because I know the pits can kind of give that um, almondy nutty. Mm-hmm. It still has the pits and stuff in here, right? Yeah. So again, like uh, or, or specific to the the cherries, the pressings we get are, um, um, you know, imagine imagine you took a, a cherry and uh, you know you you squeezed it in like a citrus creamer. You got all yeah. of the juice out, uh, and you'd be left with the pit and um, like basically compressed skin, a very small amount of flesh that you didn't didn't quite get. Um, so that's what we get. Um, so the, the pits are all in there and, uh, that's where you, 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 you're exactly right. You get that marzipan characteristic. That marzipan. That's the it's class. Yeah. It's or the almonds, you know, um, same, it's, it's same thing, basically. Same thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you, it's, um, you know, that, that's like a, that's like a classic component of, uh, like a Creek, which is, this is not a Creek, but, um, that Marsman character is something that I adore, um, and I think Max as well. That like when you have a really good cherry beer, it has that that um, sort of nutty uh, character to it that balances the sweet and, and acid of, of the cherry. Hundred uh, percent. I really look forward to that element of it. So I was happy to hear that you guys are actually throwing that in. I've learned about that from I forgot what it was. Probably some of the barrel aged beers that kind of look for that. I feel like it's not no small pony. Because he was telling me that they put the cherry pits in to, to give it that, that extra element. I feel like it's not um, – people wouldn't obviously use the real cherry juice. They'd probably typically go for more of the, uh, the puree. So that obviously does not come with the, uh, with the, with the pits and stuff. Um, I love that. That's super cool. Um, and I know we kind of talked about this even you know, leading up to this beer. Another thing about this I noticed was um, it's a saison, and I'm not getting – and this is something that's – I personally appreciate. I'm not getting a lot of the fennels because one thing that always turned me off saisons. Obviously, I mean the land of saisons out here, but I, I never enjoyed them because they just tasted like bubble gum and banana, and I, I, it was just not really the type of profile I was looking for. So I always appreciate a saison that has like a really low fennel kind of vibe to it. Do you guys, is, is there a reason why you guys kind of chose to do that, or did the, does the cherries just hide it? Uh, no, it's our yeast strain. Um, we, uh, I, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I don't really like a phenolic saison, and uh, the most common saison strain used, um, I, I maybe maybe it's equal with another strain, but uh, like a dominant saison strain used across North America is very phenol heavy, mm. um, and uh, I just uh, it's not um, it's not to my palate, and um, it's. Um, also uh sort of come to in some ways define saisons uh locally um so for both of those reasons we we thought we'd try something different so um we sourced a different saison yeast um that um i had experience with that i really loved um that is not uncommon um we're certainly not the only brewery using this um outside of its source um but uh it's it's way way less common than than the two dominant strains Love it. I think it's, I think it's a great choice. It's particularly for like a market where you guys are at. That it, it doesn't have the same level of uh, what's the word? Like people don't. 
uh, like over here, people have always wanted farmhouse because we're going to be more influenced by Belgium. And then you guys obviously in Ontario more influenced by the UK type of styles, traditionally anyway, like historically. And I feel like there's, there's definitely a palette for that type of stuff here. And I always never enjoyed Quebec beer for the longest time because I felt like they didn't have a lot of variety and it was so much of that type of stuff. So as over time, and I've been trying all sort of different stuff and I start to realize, oh, there are farmhouse ales and, and stuff with, that don't taste like you know, that banana and bubblegum. And uh, I always appreciate it when I find them because I still, for better or worse, I guess, I still feel like they're in the minority of uh, saisons that are around. Unless I'm maybe not saison man, so I might not know, but that, that's where I want to vibe, you know. I think the best part about saisons, and this is actually holds true even in, in France and Belgium, is that it's like, you know, it's become kind of codified as a style, but... Um, it's really a loose affiliation of of small farmhouse breweries. Like the the style has so much variance within it, right. um, between color, between what adjunct you use, between how your yeast tastes. Um, is it a pure culture? Is it a mixed culture? Um, what's your hopping rate? Do you use old hops? Do you use new hops? Um, there is just so much within um, saison that other beer styles are are, are way more uniform um, and. Um, I love that, and I'm with you that um, there's a whole there's a whole family of saisons that I just don't like. Um, but it is cool that um, they're there, and they they are identifiably saison. There's something loose that ties them all together, and that's a very uh, cool concept. Um, and I, I, I love that you can um, you know cover so many different palettes within this one style because there are mm-hmm. obviously a lot of people who really love phenolic saisons and like ultra ultra dry saisons that are you know, driven by that spice and um, that like really intense drying um, characteristic of, of like a 0.2 Plato beer. Um, and I can still identify as a Saison, even if I'm identifying as a Saison that I don't like. Uh, or like <laughs> yeah. a style of Saison I don't like. And I think that's cool. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's cool that From you yeah, Max, go for it. Yeah, yeah here. my perspective. Um, I mean, saisons were always one of my favorite styles because, uh, largely because one of the, um, I think one of those commonalities that, that does kind of connect them is uh, is a general dryness that they're on the drier side of things. Um, and so with a nice balance of, of dryness and a sort of yeast character, be that more on the phenolic side or not, um, to me, they, they often, it was sort of, I came to them in a big way in terms of pairing with food, found them to be really, really strong, uh, food pairing beers. Um, and certainly some of the more sort of subtle ones, things that don't have quite as much of that, uh, the bubblegum, uh, character, which obviously is, uh, presents a certain challenge when it comes to, to food pairings, but, um, the, the sort of dryness, the, the, the mouthwatering character, um, was great, uh, in the context of, of, you know, trying to sell food and, and operate a restaurant as well. Totally. No, that's a good point. Um, to, on that kind of note, I mean, we sort of alluded to it earlier where you guys said that you really sort of, you know, shared the same vision for the, for the types of beers that you guys were going to brew. Um, I'd like to hear a little more about that because I guess, you know, you were talking about the sort of three groups from the lagers to the 99% to the, the, the barrel age stuff. I mean, but you guys do a fantastic IPA. That um, you know, and there was the, the double IPA version, I believe, Brandon. If I'm not uh, mistaken, 
the original recipe you made for Notion's uh, Hops on My Sleeve ended up being sort of like a loose base for what was to become the having either the IPA or the double IPA, one of the two. If I'm yeah, sorry. that was uh, the double IPA. Yeah, the double. Yeah, which is super cool to me. I love that. That's where you know you you, you created that recipe for that particular occasion. That we're able to because it was a really great recipe, and you're able to take that on. So you know, I feel like you guys are doing. I'd like to just hear where it was coming from because I still feel that you you know you're doing these like kind of like new world IPAs that are super bright and hoppy and hazy. Actually, really, even though it's not straight New England, it's still in that wheelhouse. Um, you know, and you're doing like something like fantastic, like the magpie with super kind of new world in the sense it's the, that real, like, you know, hoppy lager. Um, yeah. What, what, what was the vision that you both had for this brewery? Where did you meet in the middle and kind of where has that taken you in the last, you know, year and a half to almost two years? I think sort of, um, when Max and I talked and, uh, one of the things that I uh, brought that day that I think Max was, um, uh, you know, also thinking of um, uh, and likely would have brought up um, uh, had I not brought it up um, was sort of, um, you know, working hard on technique in order to um, bring out uh, more specific or singular flavors. Um, And with hops is an easy way um, to talk about it is uh, like, I love, I love a really hoppy beer that just tastes like, know fruit punch it's great um but we were curious about trying to work with hops to um you know bring out um a hoppy beer that's like all melon and 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 honeydew or um really lean hard into uh red fruit like berries or strawberries and try to achieve those flavors through hops and um maybe uh, a little bit of a less is more um and this is where magpie sort of um, falls into um, a, a less is more strategy that if you don't, um, if you add a little less hops, you might be able to um, have more specific um, sort of discrete flavors, um, which is something that, um, you know, as a brewer, I find really interesting and rewarding because you are, um, it, it's a bit of a, a search and a bit of a journey to try to, um, figure out how to do that without, um, you know, finding penalties in the quality of bitterness you're getting, or, or um, maybe you end up with some um, secondary hot flavors that you don't like. Um, right. It is a real, it's a, it's a cool challenge, and it's a real technique-driven um, a pursuit. And uh, I think that broadly um, sort of encapsulates uh, a little bit of how uh, we work, or, or you know, uh, one of the pillars of of our process is to, um, you know, try to do our best to, um, be, uh, subtle, uh, and to have a, uh, you know, a confident, but, uh, a light touch, uh, in order to let specific ingredients taste as much like themselves as they can. Or if you really hit it out of the park, you, um, find a way to make something taste more like itself. Um, and, um, sometimes, uh, that requires some like fun flavor alchemy, um, in terms of, you know, blending two flavors together to try to taste like one. Uh, but, um, we really want to let the ingredients shine, 
Um, and uh, we are really uh, focusing on technique to try to maximize. Is there such high quality ingredients we can get in Ontario? So um, if we can make them sort of uh, their best selves, um, then we feel like we've done our job. Yeah, I mean, to, to kind of build on that at least, or at least touch on, on what you were getting at with in terms of, of you know, we say we have these buckets, but we've also got the IPA and we do the double IPA. I think, um, you know, when, when we first had, or started having a conversation, we, we knew, uh, or at least I sort of envisioned a core range of um, pills, Saison, IPA, um, pills because I think, and I think this is one of the big reasons why, or one of the big um, uh, agreements or, or sort of alignments that we, we had originally and right off the top was a, a, a desire and interest in, in doing uh, really high quality um, loggers. And so there was the pills, uh, there was the Saison again because of, of, of what I just touched on about the food pairing capability uh, and then the IPA because really like it's, we're a craft brewery and, and you got to have an IPA uh, yeah. sort of, you know, it's the calling card uh, whether you like it or not. And, you know, I think for us, it, it is not something that we do um, seven different versions of in our, if you look at our menu, there is, you know, one IPA, maybe two of when we do the double IPA, because, because we got in the hops or because we we had an opportunity to do that. And so we said, okay, well, well, why not? But it was really, there was purpose behind it. There was a discussion about the ingredients, a discussion about what we want to do. So the IPA that's part of our core range is a really deliberate choice, a really deliberate process around what do we think an IPA, what's our IPA all about and how can we perfect that as opposed to iterating a dozen times, two dozen times over the course of a year. Um, and then, yeah, with the, with the other beers to, to Brandon's point about trying to, to tease out, uh, flavors in a, in a sort of more focused way with the, the breakfast cherry that we just had, um, the majority of the flavor that you're getting there is from that cherry pomace. Uh, we did add cherry juice, but in a small quantity, um, at canning, um, it was, it was, and I think, a, really the the primary element the primary characteristic that brings to this beer is not uh to amplify the cherry flavor but it's it's cherry in a different form which adds a layer of complexity adds a layer of nuance that isn't necessarily identifiable as its own element but it it fills out that picture of yeah. cherry and makes it a kind of more intriguing more full um and it's that kind of, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd reference it as, I'd, or at least I talk about it in, in culinary terms. It's, it's seasoning. It's a stock. It's, it's sort of building layers of flavor uh, that are, it's not overwhelming, but it's, it's complex and it's deep. It's rich. Hmm. I love that. Okay. So that's give me a bit more context. Are there styles that you guys are like, we don't want to do, whether it's just curious. And I know I understand because you've got this ethos, right? And I know, you know, I, I'm a little more familiar with Brandon's palette and the, and the things that he's done over the years, and, and, and I see what you guys have created here, which I imagine has been a, a, a quite a lot of teamwork here as far as the, you know, the, the, everything that you guys have put together. Um, to you know, I know you, I think you have done like a light stout, if I'm not mistaken, like nothing like a big guy or anything that's been like a five percent or something. No, 
My we, yeah, no, we did. We yeah, you mm-hmm. right. Yeah, we did. Okay. Um, yeah, we have a low alcohol stout. It's like four and a half percent Geist. Um, we did do an imperial stout this winter. Um, okay, but not not um, not really not like a pastry stout style. Um, in in regards to Pastry's you know modern. Too. Yeah, in terms of of modern um, like sweetness level in stout, this would I think probably for an imperial stout be considered quite dry. Gotcha. Um, I, our minds are open and, and we try to stay flexible and like I have my own um, sort of like uh, yeah I have my own prejudices in, 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 with regards to beer styles that I, I like or don't like yeah. uh, everybody does um, of course we try to keep our minds open and I try to keep my mind open as much as possible to you know not get caught in a rut like that um, I think one thing we do try to stray away from is the like really ultra um, more is more beer, um, which is like, is really cool and like building like massive flavor. Uh, I find interesting. Uh, there's just, you just use so many ingredients and your efficiency on those ingredients drops with the amount you use. And, um, you know, malt right now is not a big deal. Um, supply wise though, climate could dramatically change that. Um, hops are a very, um, they're a very finite resource and, um, we, in the IPA, we use, we use a lot of hops. So I, you know, obviously we, we're, we're not like, um, counting grams on that, but we do try to avoid styles that, that just, um, use so many ingredients that they would, um, you know, um, the IPA doesn't fit cleanly into our ethos. It, like Max said, it's sort of, um, we're a craft brewery we need to have an IPA uh, and we're happy to have it I love drinking that beer um, but if we were to make an IPA that was you know dry hops at 30 grams a liter um, it wouldn't just not fit into our ethos it would run counter to it um, and that's sort of where the line I uh, I draw is, is is if we feel as if we're um, sort of getting only 50% of what we might get out of the hops because we're using so many of them then we're being, um, for us, that's the, that's the type of, um, ingredient usage that we, we sort of don't feel fits with us. Gotcha. So that makes sense. So then even if I'm just thinking of like a variety of styles that maybe I haven't seen you guys do, like, would you do something like a barley wine? Uh, I can imagine you wouldn't do a smoothie sour. That doesn't feel very, very, no, (laughs) it doesn't feel very brandy to me. I'm just trying to think about it. And like, uh, beer stability and beer quality over the long term is really important to us, and uh, I don't think that's a beer you can stabilize um, uh, realistically. Even with pasteurization, I think it's yeah, if you, yeah, yeah, it's risky. It's very risky, and we also freshness unfiltered um, beer is is another thing that's important to us, and so pasteurization is is sort of not really part of the mo. Yeah, it's not really on the table um, gotcha. in, unless we unless we had some idea that we just were in love with, and the only way to get it to um, the right level was to pasteurize it, but uh, I would I would do everything I could to avoid it because I just don't think the heating process is um, without penalty. Um, gotcha. I mean, I would love to make a barley wine. I really like barley wines. Um, however, they are just not sought after outside of a small group um, Very of, like, uh, of aficionados. So um, 
who knows down the road, these things are open. Um, but you know, we're quite young and we spend more of our time as a, as like an open living brewery in lockdown than the time we spent before lockdown. We passed that tipping point a couple months ago. So, right. um, wow. there are certain, there are certain, um, sort of, uh, curveballs or, or, um, uh, shots in the dark or, or, uh, you know, beers we made for ourselves that, that maybe we'd love to do in the future. But, uh, uh, right now we're pretty focused on beers that really fit our ethos and, um, that, um, we feel, uh, will also, um, you know, be well received by our clientele, which is not dominated by, um, like, uh, you know, beer, uh, like craft beer, um, lovers like people who are like you know embedded in the industry we have a lot of uh locals in our neighborhood that's that is the core of our um uh, of our clientele is people who live in leslieville and in, in greenwood coxwell and in riverdale uh and up on the danforth and um that is uh we do have some some really really like knowledgeable uh, beer people who are regulars but you know, your, your neighborhood, your local clientele is, is the most important people to look after. Gotcha. So, um, thus far we have not had people clamoring for barley wine. <laughs> Fair enough. It's not really my cup of tea yeah. either, but, uh, I feel like the beer nerds are missing out, man. Like you guys do some like, all, in, it's weird with the way that trends have gone. You know, there's trends that are haze and smoothies and pastries and whatever, whatever, but there's also, it's come the other way. The pendulum has swung and, and, I, I, I got to admit it, it got me heavily back into, you know, we all started drinking macro lagers and we get to the hero lagers and then the local stuff and then ambers and then porters and stouts and brown ales and Belgians. You do the whole flavor wheel and, and you discover everything. Then you come back home to where you started. And like every time I do, you know, me and my brother are spending beer back and forth all the time. And I'm always just, just get me the crispies, man. I don't really care that much about much else. And it's got to a point where it's just like, if I, it's, it's, mostly what I would prefer to drink and I I love that and I think that's a cool thing about the beer nerdery thing you know you go through your little journey and you end up back where you started now you appreciate this first thing that was just the, the thing that you just did you didn't think about it but now you're like oh it's a nuance and this and even now we just had two back-to-backs so different and that these are just two of your many uh you know many many different crispies so the beer nerds are missing out first of all um, I was going to ask more about that. Um, I do like that it's serving the neighborhood. You were saying that. I lost the question. God damn it. It was valuable. But either way, this shit is like, this is killer, man. I am really impressed with, uh, with this bad boy. I feel like it's probably a little more ramped up even than the pineapple. And when I say this for the audio oh, yeah. folks, the, uh, the cherry saison. Yeah, it's definitely more ramped up. It's like you only notice it's a saison in the back end. Like if I was doing this blind... Mm-hmm. I could probably pick it up to saison, but it's like subtle in the back. It's got the, just the yeast just kind of comes through and tickles you at the back. But yeah, just- so we, we've made a bunch of different versions of this beer over the last couple of years. It's one of the first 10 beers we made. Um, but we really, um, uh, the last version we made is um, uh, sort of after making that and tasting it, um, it's a very good beer. Uh, but we decided that we wanted to sort of lean into the cherry a little more, yeah. uh, lean into the acidity a little more, and try to find a way to kind of, you know, remake it. You know how you you know you made something for a long time; it's 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 good, uh, but you haven't revisited it 
um, as much as maybe we've revisited the IPA or the Pilsner. And um, uh, at a certain amount of time, uh, you uh, you realize that um, uh, it could use a refresh or you should just come at it with fresh ice. So we really um, put a lot of work into uh, planning this batch uh, because the process and the ingredient list and um, how we processed the ingredients um, all uh, was quite a departure from previous batches. So right. um, I'm happy it comes through um, in, uh, in, in your glass. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's killer. So what were the other ones? So I've had the pineapple, and I think you guys would, you know, Max, you mentioned before, that we had, there was a lime version. Is that correct of this beer? I can imagine lime being great. We did a two different... Um, did pineapple and lime and uh, just straight pineapple, right, Brandon? Yes, that was the one I had, yeah. straight pineapple. Pineapple and lime's a great idea. That's a really cool flavor combo, actually. It worked really well. Yeah, that's super unique. Um, no, I love it, man. This is, uh, I had a really good fucking <laughs> segue before. Yeah. He was saying some stuff, and then I kind of started thinking of other things, and I lost it, and it was a, it was a, a good move on to it. Either way, I was wanted, I wanted to take it to a different sort of direction. But um, no, this is this is great. I feel like we've uh, we've moved on to to you know. I feel like I'm getting a bit of an understanding now from drinking the beers and then going through this and, and, and understanding exactly where you guys have uh, you know have been coming from to approach all of this type of stuff. So say if we just quickly touch on the the, the kitchen stuff. I I did eat there the first time I was there. The food was exceptional. Have you guys crafted the menu to kind of pair with the beers or the beers to pair with the food being that it's also intertwined like inherently in the, the, you know, the ethos of the, the business as a whole or how does that work? That's the really nice thing about the, the approach in general um, in focusing on, on local products in both the food and the beer um, in focusing on approachability Fundamentals, technique, um, dry beers, uh, food that um, you know plays well in a neighborhood like Leslieville. We actually don't need to think about it that much in, in terms of of coordinating the two departments, at least in 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 you know designing beers for the food or vice versa. Um, the the ethoses are are consistent and a really beautiful byproduct of that is, has meant that, um, you know, time and time again, it just, there, there are some pairings that naturally suggest themselves, uh, really without too much, uh, planning. So, um, it's a nice byproduct of, of the approach we take. That's great. And, and I guess like a lot of these beers now I'm kind of thinking of it because of that lack of, um, over excuse me, over intensity of the flavors that you know we were talking about before, they would all kind of lend them. Jesus, got burp into that. Uh, they were all they kind of lend themselves to, to pretty easily to food, you know, beers, man. That's how it goes to food pairing, right? I can imagine drinking, you know, one of the first beers. I think I the first beer I think I had for was the pills, which is. Are you still doing that pills? Oh yeah, yeah, good. good. I that's, love that. That's that's our constant project. We're brewing that's next it. week, and I'm already thinking about it. Yes, I love that shit. That is fire. But I, I can imagine all of these beers being super. I mean, this more feel like the the you know the cherry tart saison. There's definitely a little more of a dessert kind of beer where I don't know if I would want too many, particularly savory flavors. I kind of just want to soak this up. I could probably complement it nicely with some sort of a 
not overly sugary dessert or something. But um, all of the other beers, a lot of the IPA, the, the, um, the maybe ones that aren't sort of as sweet or as fruited or potentially even the beer we're about to have next, um, you know, would go super well with food. So I imagine that it's a sort of, and even the, the barrel age stuff, which we're going to get to also shortly, are also not like in your face. Like they're not like wild. And there's something to be said about that, that sort of understated approach to the beer that allows you to taste everything. And, and you know, so you can eat something and then, and then taste that, but still get, you know, it's complex enough without kind of like taking over. So I imagine it's kind of that approach to beer was, was it, was that intentional then that the approach to the beer should be that, or did it just happen to work out that you guys lacked a certain sort of way of, of, of brewing being that you're both brewers and that happened to work with food? Like how did that come about? Was it intentional or was it, you know, circumstantial? No, it's definitely intentional. That, that sort of, um, I think Max is the same way. I think um, uh, I grew up lucky enough to um, uh, have parents who were really knowledgeable um, about wine. Um, mm-hmm. So I was introduced to um, a lot of different uh, wines at a young age. Um, and uh, it took me a while to sort of um, appreciate it. But um, the, um, you know, wine is sort of the ultimate food pairing, obviously, um, yeah. or at least the dominant food food-bearing alcohol. Um, and I think uh, one thing I certainly have learned and continue to learn from wine is how, you know, important, um, uh, you know, subtlety and elegance is. And um, you don't want your wine to be, or your beer to be plain, um, but uh, you also want it to, you know, integrate with the rest of what you're doing. Um, and the food is part of that. And it can't integrate very well if it's if it's very loud and brash. Yes, um, great point. And um, as I've as I've grown up and um, sort of sought out wine on my own and had um, a couple opportunities to you know try some uh, big time wines, um, it 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 continues to strike me how much like some of the really sought after um, uh, uh, wineries or, or styles or, or regions. Um, you open a really stellar, you know, spectacular bottle of wine that still speaks softly. Um, and it's not often that you open um, a really, really beautiful bottle of wine that just like sort of um, gives you a one-two like a, or a left hook. Um, yeah. They are confident and, um, and, uh, and, because the the wine is, or because the winemaker, I guess, is is um, has a confidence in their uh, drinkers um, uh, that the subtleties will be appreciated. They um, are able to do that. I love that. And the other I think thing that that it just pairs with food. But hmm. I was just say the other thing about wine is you know you don't really hear uh, of winemakers uh, saying, "Okay, great," you know. Um, Last year's Chardonnay was good, but we're just going to take everything and, and, and turn it up to to eleven or so and so down the road did Chardonnay <laughs> and uh, it was oaked this much, so we're going to we're going to out oak them or we're going to you know um, put try and try and extract as as much possible tan as we possibly can. It's it's I think in wine it's about okay what what are the conditions that, that we have and and how can we um, 
you know, how can we strive to the unattainable goal of, of the sort of perfect wine in, in mm. our setting and in our region and, and for the grapes that we have and, and what it is that we're doing. And, um, you know, uh, I, I try to sort of stay away from uh, the, um, one of the nice things about beer generally is, is uh, it, it, it often, more often than not, avoids the kind of um, pretension and haughtiness that, that can plague wine. But uh, there's just definitely a, a confidence about that. And I, and I um, you know, to, to we, Brandon and I often, Brandon in particular, uh, find ourselves talking about uh, these beers in, in sort of more winemaking terms than, than you might uh, hear, uh, you know, than, than beer making terms. And um, we, I think, as opposed to trying to maximize a style, we've sort of we've picked our styles and we've picked our base recipes and then it's just about uh, improving and understanding what it means to us and how we can how we can improve uh, on that idea. Hmm. I like that. All this whole, this is all fascinating to me. Uh, I, the first thing that came to mind, I'm not, I think I'm going to talk to you guys about them before, but you guys know the dudes at Rosewood? In, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Will and Ryan are mates of ours too and they, those guys approach wine like beer just like you're saying you approach beer like wine because they were like we're doing the Chardonnay well VQ Aces it has to be just oak well fuck that we're going to put it in stainless we're going to put it in there we're going to do this and they were the closest yeah. ones to kind of what you were just saying Max where they were like not ramping it up in the way that beer well oh you're a double dry oh you're a triple dry hop that Don't, you know like it's yeah. not like that but not also not abide by the rules in an avant-garde kind of way and just create like a more interesting product that may not be by these traditional style guidelines, which is much more frowned upon in wine than it is in beer, which is seem to be pretty open these days. But it's just really interesting to hear that kind of perspective in contrast with someone like Rosewood who are doing basically the same type of thing, just you know, flipped around. I, I really enjoy that. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I, I was just going to say a, 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 um, a benefit in the, or a luxury that we have in the beer world uh, is, um, you know, from the drinker's perspective, uh, a real willingness uh, to, to kind of be interested and in, tolerate flexibility of style and, and experimentation. And, you know, we're not, we look to in other ways to experiment. It's not necessarily in the sort of, uh, ingredient or, or volume type of experiments that, that are, are common in, in mm. brewing right now, but yeah. uh, it's it's sort of a luxury that that is um, is nice to have in brewing. That is, you feel find a lot more pushback in the wine world and um, how they've been able to balance that uh, experimentation with while still putting out some um, really like delicately crafted wines is is it's impressive. Okay. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I think uh, not to, or to to clarify that that you know uh, there is a huge amount of room to be very creative um, while still um, being driven by allowing the ingredients to express themselves. And I think Rosewood um, represents that really well. Um, uh, you're totally right; they uh, are um, you know iconoclastic sometimes with these wines and with CQA and it's, uh, it's awesome. I love, I love their, their sort of, uh, their verve and their, um, their commitment to experimentation. Um, but, um, you know, the wines still come out tasting like those grapes. They are just, um, taken in really intriguing ways. Um, the one that comes to my mind is, uh, cool hands. Um, there's something Blanc that is just, it was 
one of the most intriguing um, and surprising expressions of that grape that I've really ever had. Um, I had, I was sort of not expecting anything close to it, but, um, you know, in the end it is really, um, you know, you can identify the grape, you can see how they've just pushed it in this really intriguing direction through, you know, process and, and time and, um, you know, commitment to their ideals. And, um, it, it does taste like itself. It's just, it's just taken in a really cool new direction. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I don't know if we want to, I don't want to get into it too, too deep because I know we're not drinking it tonight, but the Skywood, the, uh, I think it's a Cab Frank IPA that if I was told Buffy said, don't drink it for two or three weeks, no problem. Brandon will tell me when I'm allowed to do it. She told me, she's She's Brandon will tell me. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you want to just briefly touch on that before we jump into to the next one, but I, I'm, I was just going to ask you guys anyway, even after the call, I was like, yo, tell me about that a, a little bit more. I mean, who did you work with for the skins and what's the deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Skyward is um, our sort of uh, Ontario IPA. Um, we were sort of trying to figure out a way to make um, – uh, we make an Ontario Pale Ale, um, Calm C, which is like a really um, – you know, it's our our, our uh, yeah. best effort to really do justice to the hops that are grown up at Highland, but um, excuse me, uh, yeah, at, at Highland Hop Yard. Um, shouts out to Will and Steve uh, and Maggie, um, and um, we realistically don't have enough of a supply of hops um, to right. make Comsi all year round and make Fallow Year all year round, and oh, also like make an IPA, which would which would dominate the, the hop usage. So um, we were looking for a way to make an Ontario IPA um, without, you know, burning through our um, year supply. And, gotcha. um, uh, you know, when it's gone, it's gone. And that's an interesting thing we like, um, you know, with some of our sourcing is that um, uh, we've sort of gotten used to in um, sort of the, the rich parts of the world that, um, you know, you'll have an ingredient all year long, no matter what, um, because it can always be imported from somewhere. But um, when you're working with small farms, when you're working with local farms, when the harvest is gone, the harvest is gone. And um, uh, it's an intriguing way to work. It's not something I had experienced in brewing, because brewing is usually exactly like um, other food uh, processes. You can always call somebody and get get your hops in. But um we're great in equipment on hopping, but uh, uh, long story short, um, we decided that uh, we would try to, you know, blend a couple styles, and uh, we get um, uh, red wine skins from uh, Rosewood um, nice. the last exciting. couple of years, and we hope to do that many years in the future uh, to make Saint Foy, um, oh, which is course. our uh, barrel aged right. blend um, right. that goes on to red wine skins, and um, uh, we actually have a, we're, we have another batch of St. Claude that's on the skins right now. Nice. Um, so we decided to um, make a Ontario IPA with Cab Franc skins last year. Um, now this year we ended up using Cab Sauve skins for um, St. Claude, which will come out um, closer to the fall. But um, we reserve some of those skins we get some extra and uh, we use them in skyward so this is a beer that is again it's used um second use. this like the brevis yeah well, exactly yeah um so this like the brevis uses um the barley that was grown um on um linton pasture which is our um our pork supplier 
Um, so that barley that was malted at Barn Owl um, uh, Belleville, Belleville, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the Linton barley goes to uh, get malted at Barn Owl, another small producer that's trying to bring um, some of these beer ingredients to the province. Um, we make a beer with that that malt that was grown um, for us by our pig farmer. Uh, we use the second new skins from Rosewood. Um, we use hops from Highland um, Hop Farms, which is up near Collingwood uh, in Meaford, um, mm. and sort of tying all those things together. So it's one of the beers, sort of like Carry On, that, uh, that ties together so many different um, sort of initiatives we're, we're pursuing um, to create a beer that uh, we're really proud of. It's a really interesting uh, melding of flavors, sort of... Um, there's a really nice order of events in that beer where you can taste each set of ingredients mm. one by one. Instead of them all kind of coalescing into a single flavor, you can you can sort of, if you pay attention, um, wait for each one to show up and then disappear and make way for the next one. I love it. I think you just did a really great segue right into uh, yeah. to the next one. I'm going to go grab it because I also That's need right. to use the washroom. I'll be back in like 30 seconds. Do you guys want to just explain the beer? I'm going to take this headphone plug out so I can hear it. I'm gone. But yeah, do you want to just really quickly just you know, touch on what that uh, you know what the beer is, what it's about? Because uh, it's a super interesting one, and it also needed to be can conditioned for uh, a little bit as well, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, go for it. Back in a sec. Uh, so the next beer we're drinking is um, called Carillon, which is um, uh, French for the uh, um, the bell ringer um, at a church. Um, the idea being this is sort of a beer that was defined by uh, our rooftop garden. Um, so we, um, our gardeners, Mish and um, Lindsay, um, grew um, an enormous amount of um, pineapple sage, which is a really amazing um, herb that... Um, uh, looks like sage and tastes like pineapple. Um, it's um, one of the uh, herbs I've been most sort of taken aback by uh, when I was introduced to it because of how, um, you know, uh, clearly it smelled of pineapple, not kind of like pineapple, like actual pineapple. So we had it grown, um, or we asked we asked them to grow it on the roof, and uh, we spent uh, a whole day harvesting it, uh, Max and I and Micheline and Lindsay and Danette, uh, and Taylor, our brewer, we all uh, harvested all morning and we chopped all afternoon. And uh, all of that pineapple sage was stored immediately in raw honey from Rosewood. Uh, so um, the honey became uh, infused with all of the flavors of the um, pineapple sage. And sort of when it was mature, uh, we used it in a um, pretty clean um sort of uh, wheat and oat forward um, saison and um, this beer's can conditioned we allow it to this year we allowed it to can condition for three months because um, it's a beer that uh, time really um, is its friend um, and it's really come together into a very rich um, experience it's got a, a t- uh, sort of those uh, wildflower notes on the nose um, and it's just a little bit tart and a little bit sweet on the palate. 
Um, and it's got this texture um, and this long um, tail of, of sort of chewy um, brain and, and like um, cookie uh, characteristic that comes from uh, the honey. It's, uh, it's very intriguing. It's a very, very dry beer um, mathematically, but um, the honey brings this like impossible to recreate um, sweetness or perceived sweetness to it and a texture that... Um, we're just uh, we're in love with the, the textures that uh, rosewood honey gets this beer. That's so cool! So it's rosewood honey and the pineapple stage from the rooftop, and the the, the herbs are put into the honey. That's Correct. what. I, okay. Yeah, there's a post on Instagram today that shows some really great, um, really great photos of that. So um, I'm from our processing um, in the fall. Okay. Okay. Um, where the hell did that idea come from? Because that is um, extraordinarily unique. Like putting a herb in honey and then let that bad boy sit and I guess infusing that honey. Is that okay? Um, uh, yeah, sort of it's sort classic, um, it, it's classic harvest dilemmas. Um, the pineapple sage was ready. The frost was coming. Um, had to do something. We didn't it. have, we had to do something with it and we didn't have the tank space. Um, it was done, the frost came early, um, the first year we did this. And so, um, we bumped around a couple ideas of how best to use it. You can, you know, you can dry it, you could, uh, uh, preserve it in, um, acid, you could ferment it. Uh, but the honey really stood out as like a very complimentary flavor an opportunity to work with Rosewood, who we had just worked with for the first time for saint Croix, And, um, um, uh, it, yeah sort of a, uh, a really um, happy, um, you know, a happy challenge turned into a uh, really great result. So the base of this beer, even just smelling it, like it kind of smells like farmhouse E. Mm-hmm. Like, is it a, I mean, like Ontario wheat and oats. I mean, I guess that doesn't tell me anything specifically about the style, but like, is it like, is it? A farmhouse base. I mean, looking at it, it's like a nice bright straw yellow color, nice and opaque, wicked big head. Um, which obviously yeah, you could call this a, a saison. Type you could call this a saison. Yeah, definitely or a farmhouse beer. Um, that is what it is. There is like a pretty, Ooh. there's pretty decent tradition in Belgium um, of of honey beers. That's where the beer de miel comes from. Okay. Um, there, there's a few um, large saison breweries that make honey beers once a year, a couple times a year. So. That's sort of what it's inspired by. Is this different? I've had this before, so I was just checking if I if I had had it. How different? I, I imagine because of the nature of the can conditioning and and the that whole process, it would be quite different batch to batch. I don't recall it being maybe this opaque. I mean, it might have been a little bit since I I had the the last one, but um, no. Like, is there anything? Like, is this the same as the last one? Does it look and taste and feel the same? Or is there any sort of, like, anything? It's a little that? different. Um, okay. Yeah, we changed the process a little bit. Um, critically, um, the pineapple sage, um, the mass can speak more on this, but the um, uh, the, uh, the soil used on the roof um, is improving year on year, and that's um, uh, a concerted effort um, from our gardeners to, um, you know, rotate crops in order to, um, put nutrients into the soil, not just take them out. 
Um, so the pineapple sage we got out of the beds this year or out of the garden this year um, was much punchier. So that certainly mm. um, factors into it. And then, um, uh, you know, there's not a lot of um, uh, signposts or, or, or guidelines for making this beer last year. Yeah. So um, we learned a lot. Um, from uh, what we did and how it tasted and how it developed over um, time with the cans we saved. Um, and we sort of took those lessons and, and melded them with everything we learned over um, the year of brewing, uh, how to sort of um, maximize the quality out of our brew house and cellar and um, try to apply those this year. So um, the acidity is a little uh, lower. The honey character comes out a little more. Um, the malt bill is yeah. just a little bit different to try to support that um, that really interesting sort of honey cracker um, character mm -hmm. that the honey gave. Um, sort of, you know, iterative trying to improve it every time. Yeah. I feel like it's... it's a, yeah, add something. Please. Yeah, talk to us, Max. Well, I was just going to say it's a funny one because yeah. um, it it is a sort of... Uh, harvest beer in the truest sense that we can do being in the middle of a city, but right. it's, um, it's a beer that we can only do once a year. Cause we've only got one harvest of, of pineapple sage, uh, from the roof. And, um, you know, and we could, we might be able to source it elsewhere, but I think there's something, um, kind of intriguing about, uh, you know, looking into what that means for us to only do it once a year and, and, and how our, crop of pineapple sage changes from year over year as brandon touched on i mean our soil has changed quite a bit on the roof um mostly it's it's improved and it, they sort of the yields have gone up and um through the work hard work of the gardeners it's it's we've really started to kind of understand what works well up there and so um it it is something that uh, this batch is certainly something i really look forward to this year um, given how the first one turned out. And I think it, it is being can conditioned and being having um, uh, these really unique kind of annual elements that, that are, are specific to the year, specific to just this batch. Um, you know, this will continue to change. And I'm, I'm you know, uh, really, it's been exciting to be able to, uh, to see um, this come together. But I'm also excited to see where this is going to head where this is yeah. going to go in the next, you know, couple months as well. It's so cool. Like I didn't like, it's, it's very interesting reading the ingredients and, you know, you see what's in like, Oh, cool. Pineapple sage. I've kind of heard of that before. And that sounds fascinating. But when you actually really like drill down and you, you know, taking your own sage and then putting it in local Niagara honey and then letting that sit and then can't, you know, like that is so insanely uh, creative um, and innovative, I genuinely, like, it makes me love this beer even more. Like, I remember it always, like, liking it and thinking it was cool. I feel like this is, like, exceptional. This has been, like, a really great lineup of beers tonight, by the way. And it's, like, paving the way perfectly with this sort of, like, coming to that kind of chew. I, I don't know to describe the like, chewier mouthfeel that's going to lead nicely into the, 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 the barrel stuff. But are you guys looking to do, or do you have any other plans, or have you done, that maybe I'm not familiar with, like other beers in this sort of vein, as far as like, like that level of like kind of crazy creativity to me, that's like the definition of that, 
just obviously not in the trendy stuff where you're just like chucking shit in beer, but, you know, mm-hmm. using these things and, and taking them in, in that way and then using that to infuse and then inspire a whole thing is something that's, uh, I really don't think is super common. Um, I'd love to hear if you have any other sort of things that you've either done or that you're working on that you can talk about that, uh, uh, you know, utilizing both your own, literally homegrown, like within the space ingredients, excuse me, alongside other local ingredients, like in, in that same way that's sort of, uh, you know, that would, people would be like, wow, that, that is really something that, uh, you know, they really should come and get their hands on. Uh, I think actually the next beer we're going to drink is 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 the other example we have currently of it, which is Orpheus, um, the Marigold beer, which has a really cool and interesting story and, and uh, some really uh, cool crossover between you know how the marigolds help the garden versus how they help the beer. Um, we have a couple other projects we're slowly working on, um, but beers like this are. Um, like a, a ton of work creatively. Um, yeah, so we're like slowly but surely working on more. Um, but uh, we also have to keep um, the rest of our beers on the shelf. So, um, and we have to improve them every time. So we put a lot of work into the Pilsner and um, there's a lot of uh, like creative technique that goes into improving that beer that uh, doesn't really ever show up on the, uh, sort of messaging about the beer because, um, it's, it's like sort of technical and boring. Um, but, uh, we are, we're working to, um, create more beers like this, um, find ways to be innovative with ingredients. How do we marry ingredients together? Um, how do we transform ingredients? Um, and these are all things that really are, um, inspired by kitchens. This is, this is the kind of thing that like an innovative kitchen does where they, um, you know, um, uh, find a way to transform an ingredient in a way you are, um, surprised by. And uh, that sort of little spark of magic is what, um, you know, makes a really, um, special dish special. Uh, so we we're, we're working on that. Um, I think Orpheus is, is where carry on was, um, your ones, um, sort of really great expression of, of our, um, creative efforts with, um, like innovative use of ingredients. Um, Orpheus is your two. Gotcha. Okay. Your three uh, yet to come. Yet to come. I want to, just before we get into Orpheus, I do want to talk about the barrel program kind of leading into it, but you kind of sparked an idea. I mean, Looking at you two as, you know, I, I imagine that, you know, the two creative minds for the most part, aside from obviously now you've got a couple other people in the brewing team who are contributing and doing fantastic beers. Um, you know, Brandon, with your history, uh, you know, particularly in that, you know, that just that knowledge and depth of knowledge in that traditional sense and you really understand what, you know, the, the, the intricate details of that side of it. And then match your kitchen stuff. And this is where I think this is interesting, kind of what you're just saying now, Brandon, that a lot of you, you're treating these beers in the same way that you would in the kitchen and approaching the same way. And obviously Max, you've worked in some places, you know, Joe, people who don't know Joe beef and Liverpool house, some of the best uh, restaurants in Montreal that are unfortunately not even doing takeout, which I do respect. You know, they've had to just be like, you know, one good thing. Well, nothing's ever really that good, but one positive thing that's come out of the current situation is that 
restaurants that uh, you know we make a real strong point once sometimes twice a week we always make sure we're trying to support a local restaurant at the very least and order something and not cheap out and you know because obviously our expenses are less because we're not traveling like we used to so if we invest that back in locally and try and order from somewhere that now many restaurants that wouldn't deliver here before like we're right in the city in my land here but um you know, a lot of places are delivering here now. So we're trying, and one thing we we looked at was, you know, Joe Beef, of course, and you know, their whole series of restaurants that they chose not to. But, um, you know, like with that knowledge and that sort of history, both in Europe and here from your side, Max, and then obviously being a brewer in multiple, you know, continents really, and, you know, you have that knowledge. So it's not like you're just the owner with the money and like, hey, Brandon, make an IPA. Like, you know, you understand it and you also understand flavors and you understand how that works. How do you guys, you know, maybe just give some, I'd love to hear some examples of how you guys have sort of been able to utilize and leverage both of your um, experience and, you know, knowledge that you've both picked up over the years to be able to come together and, and create something that you're both super happy with that maybe you might not have been able to do individually and, and, and just how that synergy get you know, really works. Cause I imagine that's really at the heart of uh, the, the, the products that you guys are producing beer wise at least. Yeah. I mean, I, I think from my perspective, um, as I touched on before, I think, you know, I try to be as much as I can be um, more of a kind of conduit between the garden and the brewery and the kitchen and um, save for a few elements that are just kind of, um, you know, personal favorites and things that I just, you know, uh, it would kind of break my heart not to have at your own restaurant and brewery. Uh, I don't think there's too many times when I've sort of have said, you know, uh, this is the, you know, I, I want to make this kind of beer or this is going to be in the menu. It's, it's sort of, um, I think it's been a bit, I hope it's been a bit more of a case of, of uh, bringing an idea, bringing a kind of concept that is maybe informed by the, the my culinary background or uh, an understanding of, of being able to spend some time in the garden and, and seeing what's coming up and bringing that to Brandon and saying, um, well, what about this? And, uh, often, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily come together right in that moment, but it sort of will percolate for, for some time and uh, a recipe will come up, um, you know, some weeks later and, and uh, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, we, we, uh, there's not a whole lot of back and forth. I sort of have, have tried to, to not, as I say, be um, too involved in the, in the sort of minutia of, of recipe development, but um, where it does come into play, or at least where I kind of do get involved is, is sort of maybe, um, planting seed of, of, you know, Hey, let's try grain from our, from a pig farmer like that. I think that's the sort of where I start to get involved in the process. And then, um, Brandon has the unenviable job of trying to make that into, uh, a delicious and, and reasonable beer, but, um, it's it's it it tends to be at least from my perspective pretty pretty easy. We've got uh, a good alignment in, in tastes, and um, you know when you're focused on on mostly on quality and um, sort of intriguing subtlety, um, you know your your focus is 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 pretty narrow, and and your understanding of of uh, what success is is uh, you know it's it's hard to reach, but it's easy to define maybe. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I do. I do think unenviable uh, un- is not the right not the right word. I think a lot of people <laughs> would then be being able to make loggers and being able to can condition something for three months. Um, yeah, I think uh, sort of um, you know, creatively, sort of the what has worked really well is sort of. Uh, Max uh, tends to sort of uh, suggest and set the destination, but uh, not necessarily the path. Um, and in doing so, uh, that allows us um, the sort of flexibility and freedom in the brewery to um, uh, sort of, yeah, to to um, use our, our, our creative skills to um, find the path, um, which... Um, is is much better on a creative process than than you know trying to decide ahead of time exactly step A to B to C um, becomes much too structured. So right. um, that has worked very well for us so far, and um, um, we've had a couple moments like one moment I can think of where um, we sort of had to sit down and figure out um, a. Uh, the right path forward is uh, we've got a beer coming out um, in a couple months uh, called Levantine that is made with Ford Sumac. And um, um, we were put in touch with a, um, a forger who does a really great job and uh, is a really sort of an encyclopedic knowledge of, of um, um, native forgeable plants in Ontario. And um, um, Max was really... Um, excited to work with him. Um, I was as well. I just wasn't sure where we could do it. And we had a beer that um, um, was part of our mixed fermentation program that was tasting really good, um, uh, but we weren't exactly sure how best to, um, like where it fed, where, where it um, slotted into the rest of our beers. It, it, it sort of sat in between um, the, uh, the different styles we make and um, we were able to sit down and figure out, um, you know, the best uh, path forward for that beer based on tasting it was was to lean into one of its characteristics. Um, it's like really citric acidity versus like a lactic or or, or a, like a, a more like aggressive um, vinegary acidity. Um, it had this really beautiful citric um, character to it, and um, we. Um, decided that the in order to sort of um, build on that and to um, fortify that for to use a kitchen term um, we ended up getting um, more than a dozen bushels of um, staghorn sumac um, in um, which the forager um, Nick Barkas, um brought in for us and uh, we were sumac? able to sort of put our minds together to identify you know the, the part of the beer that um, could use uh, that could become the focus, and that would give it enough of an identity to um, fit it cleanly into um, uh, the rest of our mixed fermentation program, and figure out um, you know how to make that sing. Hmm. What is sumac? Sumac is like uh, it's a, an endemic tree to a lot of Europe and now North America, uh, you'll see it everywhere. The moment somebody points it out to you, you'll see it everywhere. It's, um, um, it's a sort of a wide, but not particularly tall, um, low tree. Um, it creates these sort of, um, 
sort of um, almost circular based pyramid um, of collections of little florets. Um, and they um, have a really, um, again, a citric forward, almost like pink lemonade um, characteristic to them. Um, you can cook with them. They're um, a critical part of um, harissa and um, zatar. Um, they're really common in, the, in uh, Middle Eastern cooking. Uh, they're also used um, um, in Native American cuisine, uh, indigenous Canadian cuisine. Um, and you can make like a lemonade straight from the tree um, no from um, these little florins. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's okay. nice and interesting um, example of uh, where foraging is um, um, push has to push hard to come back because there's a different type of sumac that exists that is poisonous. Um, and it is entirely different um, species. It is like unrelated um, to staghorn sumac. Uh, mm. But um, in terms of foraging, identify people are worried about identifying it where it's um, that, that type of sumac doesn't even grow here. Gotcha. So it's just not something we have to worry about. People do sumac and they think of the wrong plant. Mm. Meanwhile, though, they'll eat harissa or, or go um, uh, eat zatar and not think twice. And there's often sumac in both of those things. Hmm. Uh, it's just a it's a it, it's just a very um, it's not a very well known ingredient, and um, we're very excited to have used it. That's great. I've definitely heard of it. I don't think I've ever ever seen it, um, which is cool. I just noticed my camera battery is about to die, so I wanted to take the thumbnail for YouTube before that, then it will change to my webcam. I'm just going to take a mm -hmm. screenshot of us. Do you want to maybe hold up uh, a couple cans? See if we can uh, get that just now, and then we'll, uh, we'll keep this going. There we go. Oh, look, I got three of them. I love it. Oh, yeah, get them all. Get them all. If I didn't have to hold the damn mouse, I'd get all four. There we go. Ready? <laughs> Oh, no. I, 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 can, I can do it again. Oh, I'm going with three. Hang on, wait, wait. I'm going with three. Yeah, no, I actually had your eye closed. We can't, we can't do that to you, mate. We could, I would never oh. do that to you. <laughs> that would be rude. Hang on, wait. Let me get it. There's a little button. All right. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Ready? Oh, that is stunning. That is gorgeous. That is bloody gorgeous. Look at that. Thank <laughs> you, boys. Just want to make sure we get that in. So... I want to, there's two things I kind of wanted to also get into, which kind of uh, is a bit of a segue as we move into the next beer shortly. Um, one of the things is barrel aging, and one of them is to really get deeper into the, the rooftop garden. So I think we maybe could talk about the barrel aging as we move into the, the, the next beer, and then maybe when we're drinking that, we can talk about the, uh, the garden, exactly what you have up there and stuff. So your barrel program, when I came through, I, I feel like I'm pretty sure it was February last year. And we hung out for the night, Brandon, and you gave, you know, there's a bunch of us out there. We all, you know, you really showed us exactly what you guys had going on and, and uh, what you were working with the different type of barrels. Did you guys maybe want to speak about uh, you know, just how the barrel program started, what you intend to do with it, what kind of barrels um, you have, the, the barrel-aged beers that you've released thus far? And uh, I knew there was four plus Orpheus and then the other one, so I guess six so far. Mm-hmm. They're about to have so yeah maybe just touch on that yeah yeah so um, we um, decided to start a barrel program 
um, immediately. Um, so uh, because the style of barrel beers we uh, wanted to make um, take a lot of time. Um, so the longer you wait to start, the longer you have to wait to have beer. Um, right. So um, we uh, were confident that we could produce um, some good blending stock right away. Um, and um, with a little luck, we could produce something better than, you know, uh, blending stock, um, which is what ended up happening, um, uh, which was, you know, part uh, planning and part luck. Um, so we got um, 12 um, French oak punchins in um, okay. before we opened. And um, our friends at um, Indio House very... Um, graciously stored them for us um, for a little while, or more than a little while, because we kept getting delayed in our build. Um, so a pungent is um, uh, used more widely in beer now than it used to be, but um, where a normal um, a normal barrel uh, or a barrique is uh, just over 200 liters, um, a pungent's 500 liters. So it's um, oh, almost okay. uh, two and a half times as big. Um, uh, very large. Um, so, you know, we have a four stack We have three, four stacks that makes our 12. Each four stack is, is, um, 2000 liters. Um, so the advantage of punchins for us is we're not really searching for uh, a strong Oak character, um, from any of these beers. Um, there is Oak integrated into the, into the characteristics of the beer, but, um, we don't want to be defined by that. And uh, the bigger the barrel, the less oak um, extraction you get um, because the surface area to volume ratio changes. Um, further on that is that like the exterior of a barrel um, allows oxygen in. And um, uh, from the same reason, the, the, the you know bigger volume versus surface area, um, you will have um, lower acidity which is another thing we're searching for. We didn't want to make beer that was defined by its oak, and we didn't want to make beer that was defined by acid. Um, we wanted both of those things to be integrated into a whole. Um, so we brought all these punchins in, and actually the very first two beers we made um, ended up in those barrels for a couple reasons. One, um, some of the um, things you want in a long-aged um, uh, sour beer, the, the raw product, the wort, um, you, you, you make it very differently than you would make a, a Pilsner, for example. And, um, um, it has a bit more, um, uh, ability to, um, sort of, uh, evolve over time and the work going in, um, can be of, of many different styles. So, uh, your first two brews, um, on a brew house are always, um, challenging, um, and uh, we sort of leaned into uh, knowing they would be challenging and designed beers that would be able to come out the other side of that maybe long process, maybe that laborious process, and still be the right type of raw product to end up as a really high-quality beer. Um, so we put uh, the first 4,000 liters of beer we made went into these um, French Oak punches. And... Mm. Um, uh, Portions of those became um, spinning yarn, uh, 
and became, which is our straight barrel blend, the sort of um, definition of what our barrel um, program tastes like. Uh, portions became Sangfois, which is our blend that goes on to Cab Franc and now Cab Sovskins with Rosewood Honey. Uh, some became Amaral, um, which is our uh, cherry uh, blend. And um, uh, they all seeded the rest of our barrel program because the barrels are alive. And, um, you know, the new beer that goes in the barrels is um, inoculated by um, the residual beer left in the punchins and um, that which is soaked into the walls of the wood. So, um, you know, after this many turns that we've had, which is coming up four on some of the barrels, um, uh, you know, the walls are alive and um, they uh, have taken on, uh, each punchin has taken on its own identity. It produces marginally different beer and uh, that gives us some really intriguing barrel uh, blending uh, opportunities. Right. I love that. The walls are alive. You've got, uh, I've got a few different uh, episode names from some of the stuff you guys have been saying. This is great. I love it. Yeah. No, no. Okay. So there's the 12 barrels and they, they are the neutral oak. So is it the same base in every single one of the barrel, uh, the barrel aged beers or are they, they are quite different, I imagine, right? Uh, they're not. If you looked at the recipes, uh, you would not see dramatic differences. Um, there's a couple things we do. We try to put um, a couple different styles of beers um, or a couple different critical ingredients go into um, different punchins because they result in sort of different flavors down the road and um, we want to end up with, um, we want difference at the end. We want to be able to blend different flavors to become more than the some other parts. Gotcha. Um, so it's, we can't just chuck all the ingredients to a single beer and make only that because they won't develop in the same way. We'd rather separate those ingredients and allow those beers to diverge over time and then blend them back together to taste. Um, which sometimes is sort of, you know, half of this barrel, half of that barrel, um, a quarter fresh beer and all of that barrel. Um, it, it, it changes every time. Um, so, um, they are never all the same. Um, over time, um, one thing that's consistent is that they, um, have a higher hopping rate because, um, the, Bacteria in our blends uh, will take over um, given the opportunity. So we continue to kind of fight them back with higher bitterness. Um, but other than that, um, they are, they're fairly similar. They diverge by 10 or 15%, but that's enough to make a, a, a very different product after the course of, you know, three to nine months. Mm. Interesting. Okay. I feel like should we, uh, should we move into one? even if we haven't completely yeah, finished this bad boy. Um, I definitely want to hear, I mean, we'll start with Orpheus, I imagine. Yeah, let's start with Orpheus. Okay. Yeah. I got to grab them one second. Right, I'm just yeah. going to hop off for a second. Yeah, no problems. I'll hold it down. Yeah, um, this is phenomenal, by the way. I, I don't, I, I swear I had it early on. It did not look like this. This is like really, it's cool to see the iterations of it all. And uh, the, the beer we're about, oh, could you back the bottle back called Orpheus in the fridge, in the big fridge, Orpheus. It's a bottle next to the thing. Thank you so much. Um, so the first barrel aid stuff came, um, I think it was last, late last year, and there were four that was what Brandon was talking about. 
the the first barrel aged uh, beers, uh, Max, they came. It was late last year, wasn't it? Maybe like four or sometime. The first batches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're definitely, um, you know, we like to to give these things the the time that they need, and so we didn't uh, definitely didn't rush them. Um, first ones came out. Uh, yeah, late late last year. Uh, late last or year. Sort of definitely in the second half of last year. So um, we were really pleased with how they turned out. Um, it, you know, from my perspective, or at least what it is that kind of excites me about these is they're great opportunities to fold in some of those ingredients that uh, might be a little bit more difficult to to work with in a in a clean beer or definitely in a lager. Um, so you know, with the complexity and with the sort of time, um, all those hard edges get sort of softened and um, some more interesting grains or some you know, uh, interesting products, uh, we can we sort of fold them in and, and uh, with time, flavors meld together really beautifully and we've ended up with some truly unique products, I think. Yeah, man. Oh, I love it. I, I love the labels too. Uh, all of the, the barrel-aged... Uh, like all the barrel beers kind of have something sort of similar to like this, like just sort of white labels with these little cool designs that will stand out. I really, I really enjoy them. Um, now this one, 6.5%, it has orange wine skins and marigolds, which is super dope. Um, I'd love to hear about the orange wine. Is that, um, here we go. That's from trail estates. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, funny enough, uh, good timing. Um, we just, um, uh, Taylor just went to trail estate today to pick up, um, the, uh, orange wine skins for this year's Orpheus. I love it. So, um, uh, this color, man, this, that's great timing. This color looks like peach juice or something. It is insane. Yeah. This color is actually the, for me, the, the most special part of Ooh. this beer yeah it's beautiful the blend of this beer was very pale going on to the orange wine skins and it was just as pale coming off we did not get almost any color from the skins which is not surprising um so you know before we added the marigolds to this beer it was like straw so 100% of this color comes from the flowers can you explain to people who don't know what marigolds are, like myself, exactly what? I know there's a Nirvana song called that, called Marigold. I think that's where I first heard of it. Um, yeah, what's the what's the deal with those bad boys? Are, are they known for culinary use, or are they just some pretty thing that people grow? Yeah, marigolds are a really, really interesting flower. Um, they do have a rich culinary history. Um, I have to Google it while you're talking. Uh, Especially in um, uh, the sort of Caucasus uh, uh, region, so like um, um, Georgia and Azerbaijan, that area, like sort of uh, to the um, southwest of, of Russia. Um, Ooh, okay. They're used in soups, used, and um, they they have this really famous citrus and pepper characteristic. Yeah. They're known in some places as, as like a substitute for um, saffron. Um, they're also um, really um, uh, uh, well known as a companion plant in the garden, which um, they are really heavy, uh, really great pollinators. 
but on top of that, they um, do a good job drawing pests away from uh, the rest of your plants. So um, sort of in the way that the three sisters are, are, are planted together in order to synergize and, and help each other grow, marigolds are sort of that sort of holistic farming um, concept that um, if you can plant them uh, intermittently amongst your other uh, amongst your other crops, they um, will help everything thrive. Interesting. Uh, and they're also a really beautiful, really beautiful flower. They have um, there's a couple of different types of marigolds, but yeah, those are the ones we use. Those are French marigolds. The French marigolds, yes, I saw that. Fiery red and that uh, yellow tips, but that red you're seeing there is is the color of this. Beer. That's it looks like that's peach what turned juice. out. Yeah. Oh my it god! It does look like peach juice. I think. Yeah. So I feel like. I don't know, maybe it's just always different when I'm talking to the people who made the beer. It's like I have a completely different experience drinking it, and I feel like I'm identifying flavors and stuff that maybe I didn't get before. So I'd love to talk through this because I feel like this is extremely complex. Um, yo, okay. I just noticed this shit now. So the beer is peach juice. The top of it is this, like, there's, like, this red just on the top. Is that a thing? Yeah, or I might- see. Yeah, exactly. What the no, fuck yeah, yeah, is no. that? That is crazy. That's yeah. um, so. This beer doesn't have any um, any foam retention, and I think it's because um, I'm quite confident it's because uh, the red you're seeing at the top are um, oils from the flowers. Oh, that's so cool, man! I love it. Yo, this is fascinating. So I'm learning, learning about this stuff, and we'll be getting into house plants and shit since uh, everything <laughs> went to <laughs> went to what it is. So, like, I'm much more interested in this. So, this nose is, like, it's, it's I, I don't even know if I can describe it. Could you, could you guys maybe talk, talk me through this tasting? Because I feel like this is the stuff that you guys are, you've thought through every element of this beer with, from, you know, from, from the nose to the, the visual to the, all the different complex tasting notes. And I feel like it's, it's worthwhile just talking folks through, like, how, how great this stuff is. So, this nose, I'm getting... I don't even know what, what that is. I don't think I can identify it. It should be that kind of, Hmm. Brandon talked about that kind of, um, marriage of citrus and pepper. And that, to me, that's what kind of, uh, really, um, is, is the, the hallmark of the nose of of Orpheus. Okay. Citrus Um, and pepper. All right. Yeah. Those are, those are sort of the high notes and then the sort of baseline supporting that, um, is the, um, a combination of the blend that we um, tailored for this um, for this beer and um, the uh, the wine skins, which bring um, that sort of you know that white wine character that has been allowed to take on some extra oxidative qualities and um, some tannic qualities from uh, the orange wine. So Trail um, has um, skin contact in. For this wine that they make, which is orange, um, the uh, skin contact is really long. Um, it's very long, so new, there's a ton coming out of the skins um, that is um, sort of seasoning the wine, and that's what seasons this beer as well. Mm. It's just so, so our our goal. Yeah, and, keep going. Uh, our goal in this was to. Uh, where something where we're like Saint Foy um, is sort of um, um, you know taking off. Oh, Vinny! There he is. Um, Love a bit of dogs on you. 
yeah. Yeah. Um, where where Sangfa is um, sort of inspired by uh, red wines and and would be our um, would, would sit you know in our if we were going to do like a tasting across everything we do this would be our red wine. Um, uh, we wanted to make a, a, a you know a, a beer wine hybrid or a beer on wine skins that um, sort of sat in the orange wine category and um, obviously orange wine skins helps with that but that's not really enough. Um, because um, there's so much going on in, in orange wine that um, sort of def- in like a really good orange wine that uh, defines it. There's like an oxidative character. Um, there is a really strong citrus character. Um, there are some phenolics. Uh, uh, there's tannic backbone. Yes. Uh, and then there's this like really beautiful uh, salinity. And these are sort of the elements mm-hmm. we were um, trying to figure out a way to recreate you know, with our own toolbox. Um, and um, the citric acidity was sort of the easy part because the, the wineskins will, will um, certainly do that. Um, but uh, the rest of it was a bit of a challenge. Um, but we had uh, a really interesting set of barrels that had this um, sort of Amaro characteristic um, that, that somewhat... Um, uh, yeah, that, that, that like, phenolic and, um, like, I- intriguing orange peel character. Mm. Uh, and those became the core of the blend. Um, and the marigold started um, really early um, as sort of the, the keystone of it all um, because they brought the pepperiness, they brought the color, and they brought the um, citrus, the actual... Other like not the acidity, the actual flavor of of orange and and, and citrus fruits. Hmm. Um, so um, we grew, grew marigolds for the whole year, and this was a huge challenge for um, our whole gardening team um, because um, marigolds are honestly mind blowing. Um, they um, will keep creating flowers over and over and over and over again if you don't allow them to go to seed. So um, these marigolds were picked weekly, daily, over a whole season um, when they were ready because the moment they go to seed, it's over. But if you keep picking the flower at the right time, they keep recreating a flower. So um, on the day we harvested this, and this was like hours and hours of harvesting, uh, picking every flower and separating it from its little... um, little stem um by the time we finished there was the start of more marigolds on the plants wow. same day they're vicious eh? they were already regrowing we took every single one off and we like went back through to double check it was all green and then we processed for like three and a half hours and we looked up and there was orange just starting all over um un- unbelievable really unbelievable um, that's crazy so yeah, yeah, it's a really cool plant. So it it was um, really a whole growing season project, uh, and it is a harvest beer. But I think it's important to point out that it didn't like even though the harvest day was a really big day, it is really only a portion of the work that went into um, growing this 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 crop that defines this this beer. Hmm. So yeah. Anyways, yeah. we were just trying to marry all these different things to to create the the things you you, you see in some of the orange ones we really like. In um, 
what I was going to say is, is similar to adding small amount of cherry juice uh, to the Brevis cherry in order to fill out the kind of picture of, of cherry, that cherry flavor. Um, Brandon mentioned, you know, the, the flowers have been harvested throughout the season. Uh, and those, you know, at the beginning of the season too, when we brewed the beer, when the marigolds went into the beer, it was several months. So, um, you know, we had all this whole uh, backlog of dried flowers, but we also wanted to incorporate fresh flowers because, uh, you know, we had the understanding that as the flowers were dried, they were going to, that was going to tease out a different, or at least sort of um, emphasize a different characteristic. And so, um, again, it was the that idea of kind of stacking flavors one on top of another. And um, similar to uh, the... Um, the grain from the pig farmer, this is, it's sort of looking at a product in this case, the marigolds, which have a, a benefit to the, the farming or the gardening process. I mean, I, I don't think marigolds are totally feasible on a, on a sort of large scale farming uh, operation, but certainly for, for sort of backyard gardens and, and larger, you know, sort of market gardens, um, they're excellent pest management and, and pollinator flowers. And so, um, looking looking at beneficial practices and finding opportunities to create a really unique flavorful um, product uh, out of out of those products or out of those in those inputs that are there to benefit the cycle as a whole is is really exciting to me I love that when you say pest management I'm just curious what what do they actually do to stop the pests um, as a good question, by and large, the, uh, the pest management, so you get, uh, in terms of um, agriculture, you've got uh, soil pests and you've got pests above soil, for lack of a better term. Watch out, Vinny. Um, and uh, marigolds, it's actually in the roots. Uh, there's a species of soil pests called nematodes. Um, that can be quite damaging to uh, the root structure of plants and marigold roots. Um, I think it's just a, they just emit uh, a, uh, a chemical, emit a toxin that uh, repels these nematodes. And so um, it's, uh, you know, the best application is just to kind of dot them throughout your garden. Um, and uh, which is nice because as you're as you're sort of walking through these these beautiful pops of um, deep green leaves and these vibrant vibrant orange and red flowers, I love it. I feel like because uh, now we know we're trapped <laughs> for this summer, so we're like, all right, like last summer we casually went in on on plants, and now Tiff has kind of turned this place into a bit of a you can't really see it right here, but like I'm looking at jungle type stuff. And on the belt, we have we're in a inner city apartment, like eighteenth floor type of thing. So we're like, um, we only got a little bit of a, a balcony space, but we've bought little like shelves now to put plants on, and got a few little planters and stuff. So you've got me super interested. Like, yeah, I was growing last summer. I was growing like just herbs. Like, obviously, I know nothing about this stuff, but like basil and and mint and thyme and stuff, brill, like, but we were using it and it was the coolest feeling in the world to be like, oh, we're making some pasta with some local sauce here that these the Italians that have been here for generations, they make this sauce for like 10 bucks, like, hell yeah, so you get that, go pick your fresh basil and the thing, it's it's beautiful. So I'm like, we got this little box that we want to maybe put some 
thought maybe put some flowers in it. I didn't know marigolds look like that. Like that's crazy. And if they have an additional purpose of a pest management, that's dope. Um, can the average, can they, I'm, this is not plants and other shit podcast, but uh, I, I am curious, can they, can they be used for stuff? Like, can you like pluck some marigold leaves and use them for something? Or is it not that kind of party? It's like, they're just pretty. And... No, 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 they absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How would you use them? Brand, uh, you can um, pull the flowers and uh, the petals like nasturtiums are great in uh, in salads. They've got that peppery character, particularly. Oh, um, like the edible flowers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Ah. Or um, the uh, sort of classic application is uh, in uh, stews. So um, it's sort of a, a mountain saffron. Uh, it, it has uh, used in soups and stews to impart flavor and color, particularly That's when dried. I'm so sold. Look up marigolds, French marigold. So sick. I was telling Tiff because I really, I feel, I feel like she'd be into it. I'm just so fascinated yeah. by this. Like I've had this beer before. That's why I'm not taking the photo of it. And I'm like, I feel like I didn't notice this like little red tinge on the top. I feel like I'm getting these nuances of it. Probably maybe I'm drinking it slower and talking to you guys and really like soaking up every element of it. I'm appreciating it on a whole other level now. Um, it's just so fascinating. It's just such an interesting thing. I feel like it's just not something that's, you know, super common. You don't really hear of it too much that, uh, you know, people are, are putting flowers in beers in, in this real proactive way that's it's unique, that brings so many elements to it from the pepperiness to, to multiple color, you know, visual aspects of it. And uh, it's, it's fascinating to me. I just don't really see it too much. And I, I'm really appreciating this stuff. Um, your today, uh, yeah, go on. Man. I was just say today, it's sort of a uh, brand mentioned. We, we just picked up the uh, the skins, uh, for the next version, and that is sort of an exciting day for me because, uh, the way in which Carry On, um, adapted and changed and evolved and improved from one year to the next, uh, I'm really excited to see, um, the second, the second version of this. So, yeah, have you begins today? So you actually, you, I guess you've never produced the urine in, in the sense of uh, um, still brewing and making it and aging all of the, the second batch of, of your, uh, maybe more, f- for lack of a better word, flagship barrel age, you know, saying far being the first one, um, that you, which was phenomenal. We even drank, you know, because Brad brought the, uh, I think we had like a Magnum on Christmas Day. It was like, I love that beer so much. It's fantastic. And it was like a real special beer that was really great. And I, I was really... It was just so cool to see because I know we were there a year and a bit ago before the world changed and just got to see it. And, you know, it was exciting to see the actual result of, of that. I had a, I don't really recall experiencing that before going, you know, through and seeing it sort of in its infancy and then being able to taste it in its, in its end and, and seeing that come back. I think that's super cool. I had a question about the barrel system. So at the end of, you know, it, it seems like primarily you guys are focusing on I was about to say sours, but I don't know if I would really call these sours. It's barrel-aged farmhouse ales yeah. that have multiple characteristics, and part of those characteristics are sours slash tart. Um, have you considered any other type of barrel age? I mean, literally any of the other styles, whether it's a lager I've heard of, I've had barrel-aged lagers, things like that, or or uh, things like that? Have you considered things like that? 
yeah, there, there's a lot of things we would love to be able to do or um, experiment with. Um, we like something like a bourbon barrel aged stout is is probably not you know high on the list um, of priorities. Not that I don't like those beers that do. Um, barrel aged lager sounds great as well, but um, we are um, we're really um, intrigued by the results we've had. From this culture, so like Sangfoa, Spinning Yarn, um, Orpheus, um, Pale Fire, which we're we're going to try after this, um, they all come from the same um, sort of like living cultures um, that, that define our barrels, and um, we have really not um, uh, gone too deep into like the different ways this could be. Um, you know, modulated or pushed in different directions. Um, it's a living product and the balance of, um, organisms in every barrel is a little different. And, um, there's just so much to discover in that, that, um, that's currently our focus. Um, beyond that, like space, like Aveling is a big building. Um, it's, it's a very big building, uh, but it's all the space we have. Um, and, um, that space is at a huge premium right now yeah. uh, because we, we just can all of our beer now. And uh, it's um, that just takes more space for us um, versus kegs and our um, uh, ability to, to like um, turn over beer is just, is different. Um, right. Turning over kegs, um, you realize the space immediately. Um, turning over cans, you don't because it's on a pallet, and um, you sort of have to empty the pallet before you realize that space savings. Um, versus a keg, two at a time, you get two more spaces back once you sell two kegs. Um, so, uh, at the time being, different types of barrel aging projects are um, sort of on hold, uh, but not. You know, I would love to do everything, but. Um, I am in no way disappointed that um, we have to focus on the barrels we have because we already have things in the barrels that have flavors we've never had before and we're discovering right now how to blend with them and how to um, potentially search out those flavors in the future and and which of those we like and which of those we want to get rid of you know, how we can push this program forward. We have some other interesting barrel. We have a red wine barrel-aged stout that's um, been packaged and will be bottle conditioning for the next few months. So we've got some cool new things that are sort of um, still yet to come and um, uh, a little different from anything we've done so far. But um, we're really happy with um, sort of the variety and the intrigue um, that we're seeing in the barrels now. So we're, we're leaning into that. I respect it. I love it. I mean, like, even as you were saying, I was like, I don't really think I've had, like, an orange wine barrel-aged farmhouse ale with marigolds before. French marigolds, let's be clear. You know, like, it's super unique, you know. <laughs> what you guys are doing is super unique, and it, it's it's great. It's fantastic. I think it's really, you know, you're right. You're 100% right. It's, you know, there's no rush we're in an interesting period of humanity right now that we all were just trying to get through. 
you guys were uh, fortunate that you know, pre- previous to all of this, you were canning a lot of stuff anyway. Obviously, not everything. Now you've had to move to everything. Um, uh, so I can only answer you describing. You know, a lot of people might not really understand what what that means for a brewery as far as space. And like now you've got to have this room to keep these empty cans. And then when you fill them, you've got to put them somewhere. And then you need frigi- you know, refrigeration. And, and there's so many logistical challenges with all this stuff. So I completely uh, get it. But, um, you know, p- perhaps, do you guys have your own can? I think you have your own canning machine, right? Or are you mobile? Yeah. We do. Yeah. Well, so we do. It was, um, it was an enormous, an enormous boom um, at the beginning. I can only imagine. Yeah. I mean, I was super fortunate that you guys were doing this stuff beforehand and you had a great sort of, people who knew you was that, you know, you got a very distinctive label always with the, the you know, the white and the color on the labels. Um, you you know, super distinctive. You had that from, from the beginning, which is uh, super key. And I imagine that's probably helped. Did you, I mean, look, let's just touch on it briefly. I know we uh, don't want to go into it for length, you know, for long, but uh, obviously this has been a pretty interesting year for breweries. On the positive side, the vast majority of brews are still here. Some are thriving. Some uh, have told me they've, oh, my revenue's the same, but my profit is a fraction because now you don't have the, the keg sales and stuff. And, you know, that, that's really eaten up a lot of profits. And I really don't think a lot of people really understand that side of it because the packaging and what it costs for a can. And then sometimes if you have to distribute it and you're losing on that side and there's so many other elements to selling packaged beer. So do you want to maybe just touch on briefly how it's been for you guys? And if you've had to pivot much being that you already had the package, it sounds like there was definitely some pivoting. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. The, I mean, the, the business was designed to be a a brew pub first and, um, we were actually being quite cautious or or deliberate with um, who we were distributing to. And we actually, you know, before the pandemic, uh, from July of 2019, when we opened to when the pandemic hit, hadn't put a whole lot of effort into distribution because we wanted to understand what the volume and the demand was going to be from our own tap room. We wanted to work with um, bars and, and restaurants and licensees that took the same kind of care with the product that, that we did. Um, but really, I mean, from my perspective, it, it, the, the business was designed to celebrate the, uh, the, or at least, yeah, celebrate the, the, the value and the joy and the excitement of, of, uh, in-person dining and, and the reason for the big, big bar and the smack dab in the middle of the room. Um, uh, you know, we touched on this earlier that the design team was excellent, but the, the one, one thing I will claim is that was sort of something I really wanted because, um, you know, sitting in a bar, it's just, you get, you get such a great, uh, feel for a place and you get to talk to people and, and the interaction is a lot more authentic and that's always what we were built around. So mm-hmm. having to package everything and shut down our brewery, it, it really, it, took the wind out of our sails and it also forced us to approach the product and approach the process in a way that we were never really built, uh, to do, um, you know, cans are single use. We've got to buy cans in every single time as opposed to reusing kegs. 
taxes are higher. The taxes have killed us um, mm. because kegs and cans are taxed at a different rate. Um, so we're, we're buying twice the cans and we're getting taxed at more than twice the rate. So um, it, it, you know, fortunately, really fortunately, people have, have stepped up and, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, actually, we were blown away by uh, the rate at which people were ordering beer. And, and it was sort of, um, you know, we had a, a really tough couple, you know, month and a half where we had to, you know, furlough uh, a lot of our, our staff, um, and a brewer, you know, Taylor included. Um, but before too long, we just realized people are, are they're still buying beer and they're uh, buying a lot of it. So we had to bring Taylor back and um, it, uh, you know, I mean, it hasn't been a, a boom time by any stretch, but um you know, again, we've been we've been lucky, and we've been um, able to uh, um, use what we've had at, at you know on site. We've uh, been kind of resilient and scrappy, and and I think um, by and large we've, we've done a pretty good job. That's great. I love to hear that the community stepped up and that you've been able to bring staff back. That's awesome. You know, like mm. I didn't know about the double the tax on the cans. Shit, it's crazy. It's so savage, man. Like, uh, one thing that I do want, I do really appreciate about Ontario that I feel like didn't get any fanfare is that you're allowed to, people can open a fucking bottle shop now. People can, I can just be like, I'm going to rent this store and sell some chips and I'm going to sell local beers. That is crazy. That is Quebec level shit, man. Like, that is some stuff that, like, why are people not talking? Yeah, dudes have been wanting that ad in Ontario uh, for years. Someone told me like yeah, two yeah. weeks ago, man, like two weeks ago. I was like, why did no one tell me? This is crazy. So like yeah. anyone can just do that. I think that's like, if that's what this bullshit has come to, the, to allow that, you know, people can turn, not only turn, I knew about the restaurants. People can turn restaurants into bottle shops. People, breweries were allowed to purchase beers from other breweries to be able to sell it as like a bottle shop, which I thought was super cool. Like, I know I, the first one I saw was Dominion City in Ottawa, where just bringing stuff in from on from Toronto and different regions for the Ontario, Ottawa folks. And my, you know, our blog writer is based out of there, Nathan, and, and he was always just getting cool stuff. I'm like, man, what is this is crazy. But then, yeah, he told me recently that that you guys can do that. So I think that is fantastic. That is a great step forward that um, maybe there's going to be some independent bottle shops, really. Maybe they'll sell some charcuterie or something and, and alongside. Maybe they could buy your charcuterie and then sell your beer alongside, you know, which is... That would be great, yeah. I don't know, it's like... It is... Please, yeah, sort of what's in your thoughts? You, um, well, I just... It's sort of weird. It's been it's been uh, unfortunate, I suppose, or, or disappointing that it took a pandemic to just kind of reach this point so where true. not so only true. you know can we have effectively private bottle shops, uh, but also you know patios and public space is all of a sudden um, seen yeah. as this this great resource, and and it's no longer sidewalks and streets are no longer just a means to get people from A to B you know, as, as efficiently and as quietly as possible, but they're, you know, uh, we've been forced to look at them in, in a reasonable and progressive and, um, kind of collective manner, which is, is, you know, it should be, everyone should be able to have, have use and enjoy, um, 
enjoy the public domain, which is, is it's again, it's, it's a wonderful change. It's, it's sort of disappointing that it took this long. Um, you know, it's it's still kind of weird to, to be able to go into uh, into a shop and, and buy a bunch of weird funky wine from around the world, and it, you know, it feels odd that technically I'm buying the bag of chips and having the like four or five bottles of wine to go with my my bag of chips because that's the actual that's the actual transaction. I'm buying right. a meal. I'm buying some food. And it just happens so happens to come with some some wine for taking. So you have to buy the chips. So it's not only the store has to stock chips. Each purchase has to be like, take your pick of the bag of chips and then you can buy as much more. Because it's, it's wine to go with a takeout food. (laughs) Can I, I, I'm going to put that in context real quick and you may relate to this a lot being that you lived here. I I live next to Montreal. Literally I'm looking the the way I'm facing. I'm like 20 to 50 meters from Montreal, like the actual mountain. Um, you can go into any park in Montreal and drink any liquor and yet as long as you had food only recently, like when I first, when we first moved here, we had, a, it was a bag of chips. We moved here in 2012. I lived in Toronto from 2010 to 2012. Went over from there. And I remember being at uh, Parc La Fontaine down there and uh, we had a bag of chips. We had like a bottle of wine to finale and we were drinking the wine. And then I, it happened to be a homeless guy was like, and our, our back of, bag of chips was closed. He was like, guys, you can't just have to sit there with the bag of chips is closed. Like you have to be eating that shit. Like, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And they recently changed the law that you can't have a bag of chips. You have to have substantial food, which is extraordinarily vague. But I think in Quebec terms, that probably means a baguette with some meat and cheese with some charcuterie and some cheese or something. So the fact that, Ontario, who was super strict about drinking in a park and stuff now and, and never letting anything outside the LCBO or beer store system now allows <laughs> independent bottle shops that can sell you a bag of fucking Lay's and now I can walk out of there with three bottles of wine and a six pack of beer. It's just, it's funny what this has brought to the world in in a good way, I guess, but I just think it's, 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 it's funny. It's, it's cool that I did not know that, that you had to buy the chips. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah, I just want a bag of chips. We get, we get, well, it's like, the, you know, you, you've had to, if you're, if you're a bar that, uh, for a long time in, in Toronto, if you're a bar that doesn't, um, have a kitchen, right. Um, you're, I'm sure you've seen this at some point. Um, uh, you, you require to, um, have a food option. Um, and and most people like allow you to bring in food from somewhere else, and uh, but you'll always see like regular bars um, that, that don't have a kitchen um, have like these okay. chips that have that are like on the wall and they've been there since like you know two thousand and two <laughs> the same bag because nobody's buying the chips but they're available right I mean, they're, they're there. Uh, these these are the sort of uh, these are the sort of critical parts of the laws that uh, you know, so keep society together. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's so wild. I mean, my favorite there was there's a bar in Toronto called uh, the uh, Communist Daughter Com Dot. They <laughs> they they they, uh, they took it to some sort of extreme where I think like not only would they make fun of you, they'd give you a really hard time if you ordered food, but it was just like. 
It was just the absolute grossest microwave burrito that they could possibly find. <laughs> they wouldn't defrost it for you. It was, it, or like some sort of lean cuisine or Swanson dinner. It was just, oh it, the menu was, it was horrifying and, and good on them. I love that place. <laughs> Cause they hit the law. It, it passed the laws exactly. and that's all that matters. Yeah. Well, and that is there's so food fun. available. And that's it. Yeah. I guess that explains those bars that have like, a, just like a, a, a cheat, like a toasted cheese press behind the counter. Like that was it. They just chuck a couple pieces of wonder bread and a craft single and like, boom, there you go. Here's your, here's your toasted cheese. cheese. Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, it's so funny. But look, man, if this is, you know, what came of it, and I hope that you guys were able to get some new licensees out of it from, you know, these independent bottle shops or from restaurants or from other breweries willing to sell each other stuff. Like I've, I've enjoyed seeing that. I, we don't have that here from what I've seen um, because we already have the specialty beer store thing. But we, you guys also have the, um, uh, the you know, you can mail order, I guess you, whatever, you know, people can order online and, and, yes. and have it shipped. You guys have a, an online store. I would imagine that people can order beer and, oh, yeah. and such. Yeah. Good. good. Shop.appling.ca. Make sure you check that shop.avalon.ca. Yeah, I love that. Like that, that is super key. And that's something that we're definitely missing out here. That's uh, pretty ridiculous. The depths here can deliver technically. Oh, but the breweries can't, which is obscene, but it's just interesting watching the two. Cause you know, pr- prior to this, we were in Toronto. It's where we're always there. We were there like once a month. And, you know, my brother's there and my girlfriend's and my mother-in-law is there. Most of my friends are there. And, uh, you know, now the borders are literally closed. So we're, like, locked. And we can't go the other way. You guys can't go either way. You guys are landlocked because you guys made the decision. And now we can't go there. We can't go to New Brunswick because there's the Atlantic bubble. And even the Atlantic bubble's fucked up now because Nova Scotia had no cases. And I checked today, they had, like, 100 and something cases, which is a big problem there. So they definitely messed up. So, like, it's, it's you know, I'm mildly concerned that this is going, even though it's got the June 2nd date, I don't know if they'll open the borders, but it's not, ah, whatever, it's a longer conversation, I guess, whether it's the borders that are the problem. You look at Australia and New Zealand, they fixed it. There's there's a method out there, just get on the phone, dump forward or whatever, just, just call the PA, mate, they'll figure it out. Um, shall we, I'm, I'm concerned, because it's after midnight, I'm worried about Brandon's being tired. Um, you're looking good, though, mate. You're looking uh, hold good. up, man. Yeah, no, I know. I was, I was, I'm still aware of it, but I, I haven't noticed anything, which is great. So let's do Pale Fire. I've been really excited for this one. I have not had this as a brand new one. Um, yeah, gonna, yeah, this is unreleased. This is first look. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, first it's unreleased? Unreleased, yeah, yeah. It's Ooh, we got the exclusive. Okay, I'm going to go grab it and also utilize the facility. Could you guys uh, talk through it? And uh, just explain yeah. what, what what the beer is, and and you know, in in the context of like Orpheus, this is now one of the other uh, sure. aged uh, beers. Yeah, sure. Let's go. Yeah, this is a this is a little less um, complex of a process, a little less complex of an idea, um, though uh, just as good, just as delicious. Um, this is a barrel aged beer on peaches. Um, who doesn't love an Ontario peach? I think we produce some of the best peaches in the world. And um, we um, were able to get a, a really uh, high quality um, sort of, uh, it's called bee fruit. Um, a lot of breweries use it. It's um, 
um, the the fruit that uh, is is got some sort of um, visual blemish that um, means grocery stores will want to sell it, but the fruit tastes exactly the same. It's just not pretty. Um, for us, you know, that I, I I would if I could buy that fruit, I would buy that fruit because it's it's just as good. Sometimes it's better. Um, when it goes into a beer, you don't see the fruit. Um, a visual blemish is not a problem at all. Um, so. Uh, we were able to get this really, really high quality fruit, um, um, and, uh, put, uh, about 1400 pounds of peaches uh, into a tote, which was a day, uh, a, a, a real day. We had about uh, 10 people processing these peaches cause, um, you gotta cut them and expose the, uh, the pit and the flesh and, um, add them to the beer. We actually, um, uh, had to transfer Orpheus out of the tote the same day. It was quite a day. It was quite a big day. Yeah, um, 1,400 results. 1,400 pounds, yeah. Woof. Um, I'll, uh, I'll be so, right back. Yeah, man. Keep talking. Yeah. It was quite a... Um, oh, I mean, there's a lot of people there. and You know, as monotonous as it gets, it's people are just kind of shooting the shit. Uh, cutting peaches. Forever. <laughs> Forever. Much longer than you'd ever imagine you would possibly cut peaches. So, um, there's just a, a, re- this is a really nice blend. We were really um, careful about um, the, the barrels that went into this blend because the fruit was such high quality. Um, we um, bottle conditioned actually to a little higher degree than um, the rest of the bottled beers um, because okay. it just kind of lifts the peach character. Right. Um, Ooh, that and, hand. Uh, yeah, we've let it we've let it uh, bottle condition for quite a long time because it's really developing really beautifully. So. Oof, that is beautiful. I really like. I was really excited when I saw that this was peach. I feel like um, peach is one of the greatest. You like one of the things you hear, said here that I really enjoyed was speak softly. And yeah. I feel like peaches speak the softest, like. They're, they're just a beautiful fruit that, that are perfect for this type of thing. And even though you used a, arguably a metric shit ton to get them to speak softly, like yeah. they're just so subtle and, and it almost doesn't matter how much you put in. Like they can't, it's almost like they can't be too much. They're never overwhelmed. They're not overwhelmed. Actually, that, that is generally the challenge with peaches is they are, um, they speak too softly. <laughs> That's true. Finding, finding the right type of peaches and using the right amount, and, and the beer that goes into them are all part of it. So, so this one's pouring like super, you know, kind of straw-colored, little opaque there, quickly dissipating head. I'm also getting uh, that, like, I don't know what color this is, kind of an orangey, light pink or something, like a, a mm-hmm. film at the top. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a little, yeah, there's a little nestles there. Yeah. What's that from? That's awesome. Like the head was got the head was doing this like that volcano thing when you were pouring yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then stuff like with um with, with this level of acidity and this amount of fruit, um, head retention is a challenge. Mm. It's just not really something to expect. Um, oh my but, uh, gosh! The, the beer is uh, the beer is really oxygen tolerant, so the the foam is not as important for freshness. Gotcha. Oh, dude, this is killer. So it's still a farmhouse base, right? Similar-ish to the mm-hmm. to the other ones. 
We're looking at 6.7%. Yeah. This is like extra fascinating to me because you get this drink with you guys the first time. So it's a, a blend similar to spinning yarn and to the, uh, you know, which is the A and B blends and stuff like that. So kind of like that, that similar base, but mm-hmm. with the 1400, um, I'm write that down, 1400 pounds of, uh, obviously Ontario peaches. Yep. Yep. I love that. I love that. Um, when you were talking about the peaches, like you were saying, you were just like, so what are, what are you doing? You're cutting the peaches in half, removing the pits and then keeping yep. everything. Pits, pits go in. So just cutting them in half so that they would open up and uh, be able to be soaked yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because the this, this, this skin really resists um, sort of like osmosis, like um, just drying all that flavor out into the liquid. So okay. if you sort of cut it in half, um, I mean, just imagine what would happen with a peach that's whole on your counter versus one that's half. Gotcha. The half one sort of melts on its own, right? So we're trying to do that in a, obviously not in the same way. It's in the beer, so it's like very low acidity, it's totally stable, uh, but we still need it to sort of turn into mush. And uh, um, sort of exposing (laughs) as much flesh as possible is is really a, a big part of that. Okay. No, I love that. Like, I feel like it's still got that, like, there's a ton of peach on the nose, but there's still that signature, like, that's carried across all the barrel, barrel-aged uh, products, which I appreciate. There's this sort of, like, light, lemony, citrusy kind of funkiness. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck, man. I just think it's just, the peach, peach just works so well with this stuff, like... It's impeccable. I love peaches. I love oh my peaches, yeah. They're the greatest. Like I, I Yeah, that's honestly it, it, like I, I can give a long um and and like detailed description of all of the sort of creative work went that went into Orpheus. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't this 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 is in no way less valuable, but the creative work that went into Pale Fire is that the beer tastes good. Peaches taste good. Let's put them together. <laughs> That's like really it. It's like these are just beautiful fruit and really great. Um, we're beer. We're really proud of. I love it, man. You don't just don't overcomplicate it. Just put good. Just food. yeah. The um, in in when Brandon was talking about the the barrel program earlier, it's it's sort of uh, we've been really fortunate that um, thus far with you know we started with twelve barrels and we've added another eight, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and each of them have, uh, or at least there are groups of them that have kind of drifted off into different directions. And so, um, you know, really the most complicated thing about this beer was uh, looking at the barrels that we had and kind of knowing what is so great about peaches and what is like the the, the juiciness and the intensity and the kind of um, mouthwatering character. It was just what blend are we going to, can we come up with that's going to maximize this? That was really the, um, not to, to oversimplify it or, or to take anything away from, from the brewers, but uh, it seemed as though it was just, um, you know, looking at these uh, nice threads that were sort of, um, that we had uh, at our disposal and, and setting up the best possible base and then just, you know, slamming a bunch, slamming it with peaches. I love it. When does this one drop for people who are uh, curious? Mid midsummer. Midsummer. Okay. Midsummer. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna real exclusive right here. 
a lesson. Yeah, yeah, you're way ahead of the way ahead of the curve as usual. So, mate, I love it. I appreciate it genuinely um, because this is – I'm so impressed with all the barrel stuff and i am really been enjoying it. And I feel like – is it worth keeping? Like, can I sit on some of them for a bit? Like, like the same – kind of chuck it a same fry and Orpheus in for another year or two or something like that? Or like – Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it, it, you know, um, based on the principles of how it's made, it should be stable for a long time. Okay. A long time. Um, I can't speak to what it will taste like in five years because we're not five years into our <laughs> So of course. Uh, I don't have a reference point for that. Um, however, all of, all of the beers, the earliest bottlings are continuing to my palate. Um, at least they're continuing to improve. Um, okay. they also go through cycles, like, mm. I found this, especially on the ones that are um, uh, fruited in some way, based on how they develop over time, the fruit, like, and, and this includes the wineskins, the fruit comes up and then it comes down and then it comes up, depending on what's going on and the, the balance of the, the development of the, the like, um, sort of yeast and, and um, uh, bretonomyces-derived characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, they change the balance so it's really intriguing to drink it over time um, I, i'm genuinely excited for that because i've tried it sort of you know early on a bit young and, and i say same for in like you know fall when it came out then again mm-hmm. at, at you know i think i had a couple bottles and then you know brad had like the magnum so we had that on christmas day and shared that with everyone that was super cool and now obvious a few months ago now again, and I like I don't know if I'm just appreciating it differently because I'm talking to you guys or something, but I'm like, wow, I feel like it's like different or something. And uh, this one, so now it'd be cool to like sit on some of those guys and try them later this year or literally, you know, this time next year and, and see just like you guys are learning at the same time, excuse me, um, how this stuff goes, you know? Yeah, we're, the, we're uh, sitting on um, and cellaring a, a, a quite a bit of this because we, we have a lot of confidence. This is going to be, um, really intriguing, um, as like a, an old seller bottle, if it's sell it correctly. Um, it will, um, it should develop for years to be honest. And oh. like, you know, that doesn't mean that like everyone's going to think it's the best at four years, but it's going to change and, um, develop new characteristics and, um, you know, some people might like it most at four years. Some people might want it most fresh, right? I, I'm the same way. There's certain beers I know that I can sell or that I want to drink at a certain point. Or Val is the clearest example for me. I don't want it to get too old. Yeah. It's like a critical um, like transition period where I think Orval is like the perfect beer for me. And when it's too old, uh, I still love it. It's still really good. It's not where I want it. Uh, but that's what's really cool about these beers is that, like, if you want to buy something like this and sit on it for a year or two and get it to the point that you think it's going to be the best, then um, you have that opportunity just like wine. Uh, drink it at the front end of its uh, of its ideal period or drink it at the back end of its ideal period. It's up to you. Yeah. Max, you were, you were saying? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I think – we're really excited to kind of um, 
start to to see the, the unfolding of that process and and um, we were very deliberately kind of stashing away bottles of this to see how it how it develops. But the only thing I was going to chip in was that I think um, you know if people were interested in in selling some of these, I think the clear uh, candidates for me, me at least are the um, the wineskin beers, uh, particularly Sangfroid. Um, it it was sort of remarkable and it 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 makes sense when you think about it. But um, I can't remember how this came about, but. We tasted some that had had been open for a little while, and it had developed and uh, taken on oxygen in the exact same way that a you know red wine would. And and why wouldn't it? It's got uh, a lot of the same tannins, and it's it's sat on red wine skins for a significant period of time. So um, those you know uh, tannic characters and that that red wine. Uh, nature that red wine ability to to carry age well um, is in Saint-Foy, and so uh, that's one that I'm particularly keeping my eye on. But same with Orpheus, and um, you know, to to you know, a slightly lesser extent, Pale Fire and the Spinning Yarns. But I mean, they they've been made uh, carefully, and the the culture is strong. It's it's you know, we um, or we Brandon uh, really was quite deliberate in building it up and, and uh, crafting it quite deliberately. And um, I think, uh, you know, it, it, it should have, it should have legs. It should, it should develop in really interesting ways for, mm. for some time to come. I love it. I mean, really cute. Yeah. I think you make a good point, particularly with Orpheus and St. Flour being there on the wine skins. I think they would, you know, those, those type of beers just like mine do age. Well, I wonder what will happen with <laughs> like, like something like peach, because you're using real fruit as opposed to puree. So does it drop? Like, you know, Brandon was saying that it kind of goes in, in waves. Like, I wonder how that will go. It's going to be interesting to, to see how that It'll goes. It'll be interesting. I mean, the, the, the easiest um, sort of comparison you can make, and not, not, not to compare um, our beer to this, uh, but the way, um, like, Fruited um, lambics develop over time is really intriguing. Um, right. The um, something like a fufun or um, um, a Saint Lambenus uh, or, or a creek from uh, like a Titanic like creek or something. Yeah. Um, you know, when they're young and fresh, the fruit character is dominant. Um, they go through a transition period where the fruit and the sort of like beer-derived funk um, are in balance and then um, late in their life, if they're a fruited um, version, the, the fruit is like a really interesting but integrated portion, like a, a component of um, of the beer. Um, and you know, just describing those three things, those are three very different things. So um, if you're looking for a fruit-forward beer, you should drink it fresh. Um, but if you are curious to see how these things kind of integrate over time, um, that opportunity is there as well. Um, and so with Pale Fire, um, I think, you know, if you sat on this for a couple of years, I think it would develop some really interesting, like, deep cellar notes. But the freshness of the peaches would come down. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just yeah. going to change the balance of the beer. The peaches will still be there. The peaches are not going to go away. They're just right. going to sort of settle into the rest of what's going on. 
I think it's interesting. I think the optimal situation for any kind of beer like this, you want to buy like four of them at least. So you can like try one immediately, young, fresh, exactly, you know. Maybe another one in six to 12 months, you know, six, maybe 12, and then sit on another one for a year or two and see how that changes so that you really get to learn the beer and, and mm-hmm. you know, and remember at least, you know, even if you take notes or something, like just to, just to kind of, uh, you know, document it because it's interesting. And, like, you, you guys are an interesting experiment with this because you could look at, like, the examples you just gave of the Lambics who have been around for hundreds of years, if not longer, you know, they know what's happening with all their stuff. But you guys are still super fresh and, you know, you've got Saint Fire being probably the oldest, but only just, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it was only just the, the one that came out just before the rest of the uh, the other bad boys. And you're still learning how, you know, how these guys are going. So anyone who purchases it with you gets to learn how this thing ages as you guys get to learn, because you guys don't know anymore. The time's passing all the same time. So it's, it's a kind of unique opportunity for, uh, for the beer community to be able to kind of learn along with the brewery, which I think is super cool. And now I've spoken to you guys because like right behind the camera here, I have this like this cabin under the TV with a bunch of like, you know, my little mini cell. I got some other stuff in my, in the room, but, I keep it under there and I, I was, I got a couple bottles of saying and I think I had a couple bottles of Orpheus in there. And I was like, I think I'm gonna, like, I want to ask you and I'm glad you're dancing now. Now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to let these bad boys sit for a bit and just, uh, you know, you can let them sit. yeah, yeah. yeah. See, see how yeah, we're she playing goes. around with things. We're playing around with things. Like we, we bottled some saying still, okay. uh, last year, um, to see what that tastes like after a year. Um, we've yet to taste it. Uh, when you say still, you mean not, not carbonated, right? Nothing that we can add on top of it. No, we added we added just enough sugar to make sure that like the bottle pressurized just a little bit. Uh, but uh, you know, when you'd open it, it would be um, you know the equivalent of opening uh, a natural wine. You know, it might have a little bit of effervescence, okay. but it's it's not it's not gonna it's not carbonated. Um, uh, so we're playing around with these kinds of things, um, different ways to age, um, the beers and, you know, different ways to maybe, um, present them, um, which for us is, is like really, really cool. Um, it's a very interesting long-term project because, you know, we bottled that saint a year ago, basically. Mm, yeah, I guess you would have, right, to release in the fall to let it sort of settle for July. a little bit. Pretty much a year ago, yeah. Um, July. Yeah, yeah July. earlier, like, we had, we had two St. Claude bottlings, same batch, but, like, slightly different bottlings. So the earliest St. Claude was more than a year, at least a year on more the, than a the year. newer one. Damn. Yeah, certainly, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's but, February. Um, yeah, so, uh, like, we haven't, we haven't touched it. Yeah. I've never tasted the St. Claude still. Um we're just not touching um, because we really want to see what it, what what it tastes like on the long term. Right. So it's not even like a short, like you don't even want to tap one in like now wish or whatever in a year. You want to wait the longer term. No. Excuse me. Yeah. With something like a still bottling, I feel like age is the sort of goal. Um, gotcha. You, you, you're treating it like wine. You want like, Elevage. You want you want to give it a long time in the bottle to reach maturity. So um, that's cool. You know, I, I I know myself well enough to know um, 
if I open a bottle at eight months and it tastes awesome, I'm going to want to open another bottle. And <laughs> now I'm fighting myself every day yeah. or every week wow. or whatever. And like I have self-control, I can handle it, but I'd rather just not taste it in the first place and, like, you know, get as far as you can before you start tasting it. So, gotcha. you know, it's buried. We buried it in a, in, um, under the stairs. Uh, it's nice and cool there. We're going to let it sit there. I, uh, just four live. cases in front of it. Yeah, it's like four layers deep. Can't get at it. The smut. I can't get at it. Yeah, I'm just gonna have to forget about it. It's the only way. When, when are you gonna crack it? Is that like a three year, five year? What's the the goal for something like that? I, I think we'll probably crack the first one around eighteen months. Eighteen that's months to two years. Oh, that's doable. You can wait. So it's coming that's up. Yeah, it's coming up. It's almost yeah. like, man, the way that the time's moving now, fuck, every day is yeah. the same, bro. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. then we're going to have to, like, put, like, six more layers in front of it. Oh, yeah, then it's going to be a then, problem. Then I'm screwed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, yeah. I actually need someone to hide it. <laughs> Take it to Max's house. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, that's not going to help. That's the opposite. Put it in the kitchen. I don't know. Somewhere. We, uh... Right, we you, that, you, that's not going to help. Not going to help either. <laughs> <laughs> Put the beer in the kitchen. Put the beer in the kitchen. Those guys won't drink it. <laughs> we uh, we we set aside some things for like deliberately uh, with our our first anniversary in mind, and like we weren't able to celebrate our first anniversary with uh, the public, and um, oh, you know, fingers crossed that we'll be able to do something with the public uh, for a second. Uh, when is the exact anniversary, man? We did uh, we did a private party. Uh, for, uh, we did a birthday party for our first ever public event, public kind of in the space, eating, drinking on June twenty fourth, and we had a, then a couple friends and family events after that. But the the sort of legitimate opening was July third, twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Okay, so you didn't get to do it really last year. I mean, patios were open in July, I think, but like. Nope. They no, were not 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 July. Well, they were open July, but in Ontario, not by July third. It was it was a little later in the month. A little later, so, okay. Jeez, man. Yeah, so we kind of had our we kind of had had our hands tied in terms of not. Uh, we were forced not to share uh, all the stuff we had set aside for our, our anniversary. You know, we had to kind of bury it back underneath the stairs and and forget about keep it, it away from years, Brandon so. and, and so. you. <laughs> Um, do you have anything that you are, you know, in the knowledge of kind of where the world is at now? Last year kind of took us by surprise to be, you know, really fair to everybody. We didn't really know what was happening. And it was kind of like, oh, but it's only going to be for a couple of weeks. Oh, no, 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 another more, you know. So we didn't know what was going to happen. Being that 2021, it just, like, it seems like it's going to be basically the same shit. Do you have any sort of like, you know, two year releases that you can maybe slightly talk about or anything that you're maybe planning to, you know, maybe if it's not like a, a party type of situation, which obviously is what everybody wants, you know, isn't always the way. Is there something that maybe, you know, just some yeah. special releases or something? I mean, obviously it's not going to be a, a big party the way we'd like it to be, but, um, you know, the benefit of, of having to sit on everything for our first anniversary means that, um, you know, we will get a little bit of mini uh, uh, vertical tasting um, oh, that's cool. for some of these barrel beers. 
and some of the stuff we've stashed away for for a year. Um, you know, I think it's a pretty good chance we'll be able to have some kind of public interaction come uh, early July. Um, and uh, nothing, you know, nothing deliberate that we've kind of from day one, but pre-pandemic set aside and said, we're not going to touch this for one, two years. But, um, you know, we've, we've, we're always, um, the interesting thing, I think, uh, and what's, what's exciting, uh, often about day-to-day work at Aveling is that, uh, you know, the projects tend to be what you're working on that day tends to, to, you know, it, it, it's only going to be realized a couple months in the future, at least, um, which, uh, you know, means that we're sort of, um, you know, our minds are always cast a little bit forwards. And so um, there's some really exciting things coming up for the summer. I know um, the the fall and winter, like especially, um, Brandon mentioned the, the Imperial Stout and the, that uh, we did release um, this past winter. We sat on some and going to be releasing it again. Uh, the red wine um, barrel aged uh, stout will probably also uh, make its debut come the fall. So um, we've always got kind of an eye to four to six months in the future. You don't really have a choice, I guess. Right. But uh, I, I mean, that's the nature of this style. So it's kind of convenient, I guess, even really. It works for us. We make we make a lot of our beer slow, or you know, even our lagers, which are clean and um, you know a very different production process. We we give it a lot of time. So yeah. you know, um, between can condition saisons, lagers, barrel aged beers, um, so much of our production is slow. Um, you know, give the beer time to really realize its full potential. So yeah. um, you know. The, the child, there's enormous challenges of this um, uh, pandemic, um, but you know a small silver lining is that there's been opportunities to you know, uh, take some time to expand those programs and figure out you know how we might be able to um, integrate them into a regular production cycle where we still are selling um, you know ten kegs of pills in a week. Which is a future I dream of. I hope we get that. <laughs> that's the optimal. That that's the idea. Goddamn it! Yeah. I feel like we'll get there. It seems possible looking at some of the other places in the world. So we're a little Absolutely. slow out here in Canada for some godforsaken reason, but we'll get there. Um, get there. Yeah, no, I love it. I, I'm I'm just realizing how you know we've gone three and a half hours, which is. Completely expected, to be honest. I knew this was going to be a good one with you guys. I'm conscious of your time. Uh, uh, if we feel like we've kind of covered everything, I feel like we've run through six beers, which is pretty damn good. Um, yep. Six beers and drank basically all of them, and I'm not trashed, which is very that's convenient. That's our style. Low alcohol. It's, it's, exactly. yeah. it's the second time Tiff's asked me for that beer. Pale Fire is it's a good sign. Insane. Yeah. Tiff's got a good palate. She does. She's into, you know, she's, she's loving that. She's just like, even before she was just giving me the, like, yeah, like the, you know, the, <laughs> the ugly face when you're like, mm, yeah, like you do that, like when you listen to Jay-Z, you know? <laughs> um, no, like this stuff is phenomenal. Honestly, guys, like I, I really uh, respect you both. I think uh, everything you're doing is fantastic. I've been a fan for, uh, since you guys opened. 
I've, uh, you know, been obviously following since as early as I could and, and keeping an, an eye on it. You've been kind enough to make sure I'm staying up on everything. And it's been really cool to actually sit with you both and just sort of hear the way that it all came about and what it all really means and, and uh, the thought process that went behind everything. And, you know, knowing Brandon for as long as, you know, as long as I have, I, I kind of expected that. And, um, you know, now I learned, Max, what you've been doing and, and all of that culinary history and brewing history. All, all of this makes a lot of sense and, and really just, uh, you know, ha- has allowed, I kind of feel like I understand the brand even a little more than I did before, which is what I was hoping to get out of this. And I hope everybody watching and listening will feel the same. Um, you know, congratulations for real on everything. Um, you guys are just doing some this good ass beer, man. Like some really quality craft beer, and you really care. And it's always been evident from the product that that was the case. But it's so cool to hear it from from you guys directly. You know, the, like I was saying, the thought process behind it and everything. And uh, you know, I'm really happy for you guys. I'm proud of you guys. I think it's amazing. It's uh, you know. I really hope everything can open up so more people can come through. I want to see this goddamn garden. I want to open the damn border so I can come and return my empties. Um, yeah. <laughs> at least. Yeah, but we're waiting. Wow. Yeah. Matter of time. <laughs> yeah, filling them up, right? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm yeah, generally, I appreciate both of your time, man. Like, I, I really, uh, I really, I really fuck with it. I just think yeah, all this stuff is fire and it's, uh, I'm just consistently impressed with, with everything you guys are doing. And I love the dedication to everything. And, uh, man, more, more Thank success, you. more success. It's, it's, you know, I love Thank it. You so much. Um, you guys are champions. Thank you as well for hanging out with me for so long. This is, uh, you know, this has been a, it's been a pleasure. A mar- a genuinely. I've enjoyed this. I knew this was going to be great. I was genuinely looking forward to this. You know, we got the small cans and we could try so many different beers and, uh, Everything is a reasonable ABV, so nobody is, you know, off their head, you know. So I, I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, both of you guys, thank you very, very much. Where can everybody find Aveling online or and or yourselves if you would like to be found? Uh, our website, uh, all of our sort of um, contacts are pretty straightforward. Uh, website, aveling.ca. Uh, socials are all avelingto. Um, and the store is shop.aveling.ca. Perfect. Does either of you want to be found per, per, uh, personally, or it's like keep them finding Aveling? No? Uh, <laughs> you like, Aveling, that to you. It's the only thing worth, uh, worth checking out. I respect yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I respect it. <laughs> I'm going to wrap this up. Do you guys want to just hang on? Once I wrap it up and I end the thing, um, we'll stick around. We'll, we'll finish up on the... Uh, Offline, real quick. But uh, both you guys, once again, Max, Brandon, genuinely appreciate you both. Thank you very much for your time and, and candidness and, and just, you know, really like being honest and everything about how you guys are doing it. I really hope everybody learned a lot uh, with all of this. So I genuinely appreciate you both. Everyone who was watching and listening, thank you so much for that. If you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up. Hit subscribe below. Hit the notification bell so you know when the new drops. Follow us on social media at BAOS Podcast and check out the long form audio so you can hear attractive gentlemen like Brandon and Max talk about craft beer every week. We are back, I think it's next Friday is the next one, at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, check out the social. We'll be there. We'll see you in the next episode, guys. Peace.